Okay, how much do I know about Lorcana? Yeah. I know that it is Disney characters. I know that it's a card game. I know that it uses the kind of like WoW TCG style thing of playing your cards upside down or face down as your lands. Past that, I don't I don't know that much specifically about it. Okay, so I was kind of confused when Lorcana caught on very quickly. I like expected it to to an extent because it's a Disney property. Yeah. And there's a bunch of Disney people who love the Disney properties out there. I get it. It's going to sell out. And it has. It's like super duper duper hard to get cards. People are charging like over twice as much MSRP for product. People are hoarding it and then selling it out for twice as much MSRP. <laughs> people are buying yeah. it. It's just like really pitiful. But the game itself getting so much praise is confusing to me. Mm-hmm. Specifically from a competitive standpoint. Okay. Like, I don't want to hate on the game itself because I think it's actually a really good game. But specifically for casual interest, mm-hmm. like the game is super simple. I think it's like the perfect game if you like uh, TCGs and you have like a partner who's interested but not invested because the game's super simple. Like you basically draw a hand, you have the partial Paris Mulligan or you, you know, pick which ones you want to pick back and draw that many. Mm-hmm. And then you can play any card from your hand face down. It tells you which ones you can play. It's a little inking is what it's called. Yep. Your opponent can't do anything on your turn, so you have free reign. Uh, you can only do three things. You can either play a card, play a land. You can attack their guys, which is like a fight in Magic. Like they just damage each other. But you get to pick which what fights what. Or you can tap your guys to get victory points. And mm-hmm. once you have 20 victory points, you win. That's it. That's okay. the whole game. Sure. I think it's a good game, but it's not like, to me, overly competitive because it's very simplistic. Mm-hmm. And I'm willing to give it a pass on that for like the first few sets because they're like laying the groundwork for what the game is going to be, mm-hmm. which I think is perfectly reasonable. Yeah. I think the game is super boring right now from my perspective like a competitive right. player and i don't understand why there's so many people pushing for competitive tournaments yeah if it's just not ready for it yet also when you're hosting tournaments no one can get the cards how are you <laughs> expecting people to play in them yeah that's tough when the cards just kind of don't exist that that is very bad and i wonder how big of a problem that will be ongoing because obviously like the popularity of the game is m- vastly vastly not from the competitive aspect the the competitive play aspect of it there's just like you know the disney collectability thing is going to eat up a lot of the is going to be a huge portion of the the pie chart of demand for the product and that makes it pretty tough for the competitive players to get the cards on time i i think that'll be okay over time because that that already happened right that's what pokemon was pokemon mm-hmm. cards like sure. they had the whole like i'm gonna buy out all the pokemon cards forever aspect when it was coming out yeah Uh, back when wizards of the coast had the license for it and then that just like it's still a part of the game like there's still pokemon card collectors that don't play but there's still a flourishing competitive community of pokemon cards and you just can get the cards and they're all super cheap actually like pokemon is one of the more affordable competitive games yeah and so definitely a solvable problem but for sure yeah i I think that competitive card game players only have like one way of seeing a card game most of the time and so 
if they're going to swap over to a new card game it they need the competitive tournament or else they like don't understand what the game is for and i think that's probably kind of what's happening here and like you could end up like killing the competitive scene by like forcing it to try to bear too much too early in the lifespan of the game yeah just like kind of chill out you know there's an online client that's fan made it's called pixelborn i think something like that Mm mm-hmm uh, also, I really like the flavor of the game because it's cute how they named everything. Like mm-hmm. you're you're basically an artist, and you're drawing that your lands are your is your ink well, mm-hmm. and you're drawing from your ink, which you can only have two colors of ink. All good artists know you can only have two colors of ink. Period. Yeah, you don't want to over. You don't want to just like have a mess on the page. You can't overcomplicate things. Yeah. And also the inks are named after metals or stones, which is very odd. It's like amethyst, ruby, emerald, sapphire, and so on. It's like, oh. I don't know why they picked that. The metaphor breaks down ink. a little bit if that's what you do, but all right. But you can't use characters the the turn they enter or anything because you draw them and you have to wait for them to dry. They're summoning sick. That's cute. You have to wait for them to dry. That's really cute. I like that. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Obviously, somehow that doesn't apply to items or anything, but you know, whatever. You, you can't have flavor cover everything in your sure. mechanics. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> yeah, I, I think we're kind of a good game. It's just not yeah. ready to be a competitive game yet, and that's fine. I mean, yeah, you couldn't have had a like a Magic Pro Tour like two sets into Magic the Gathering. Like it would have been awful. So. It would have been really bad. Millstone would have been very powerful. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, there was not a single actual threat in the game. That's it. I just wanted to get that off my chest as people keep pushing Lurkana to me. And I'm like, oh, this game is not ready. This yeah. doesn't even have OP. There's no organized play. I'm not, I don't want to look at it for another like three years. Yeah, that makes sense. I don't know if like a golden goose metaphor is appropriate for here or whatever, but like enjoy the game for what it is. And then when it's ready for competitive play, then start making noise about it, I guess. Yeah, basically. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 308 of the MTG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina. We are your hosts. I'm Chris Castor-Rappel. With me is Lee McLeod. Hey Lee. Hi Chris. How you doing? I'm doing great. I am. I've been playing some Wilds of Eldraine cards, unfortunately on Arena and not on Magic Online because Magic Online has emergency downtime on release day now. And uh, all of my plans for playing Modern and Pioneer kind of went out the window. So played some Explorer on stream with a Pioneer deck. The, I have the Damping Spheres in the sideboard to <laughs> like verify, but playing on Arena in like bronze silver tier nonetheless. So I don't know how much we learned today, really. The interactions with cards mostly. That's kind of it. That's all you really learn in bronze to infinite honestly in magic arena yes and i mean i'll i'll bring it up a little bit as we talk through it but i will say lucky clover edgewell innkeeper uh moss with dread knight like it's a nice package those cards are good and like feel good enough but we'll see okay i we, we should get the show on the road though because i don't want Let's my do whole it. night to be talking about preview cards. <laughs> well, too bad because that it's gonna be. Okay, but well, we'll get there. 
So same preamble as usual. We did top fives of each color, give or take. And personally, I didn't include some of the super obvious ones. Like I didn't include Not Dead After All in Black, which is the strict upgrade to any any of the Undying Malice effects. Like, yeah, you it's a I get it. It'll be played modern. Like, congratulations, whatever. I didn't include the cycle of creature lands, which are all good and playable because. But only in standard, I would say. Because there no creature lands are going to shove aside the efficiency of untapped mana. Yeah. Den of the bugbear cycle is just the gold standard for that effect. Yeah. Especially since they come to play untapped half the time, like when you need them to. Yeah. Cards are good. Uh, and I did, I think, cheat once in blue, but it's a, it's an important reprint. Mostly I avoided reprints. Yeah, I just kind of stuck that one in my, like, also, by the way, this card matters <laughs> section. So I should pull up Scryfall so I can briefly read the cards that I'm talking about. Yep. Do you want to start on your white cards? Yeah, I'll start on white. Great. Uh, I definitely need to grab this one because white did not have a deep pool. Yeah, I wasn't willing to put any cards I don't think would be very good. So number five is a mediocre one. It is Stroke of Midnight. So that is two and a white instant, destroy dialing permanent, and its controller creates a one white, well, one one white human creature token. This is just a useful catch-all that is a little upgrade against the Bolivian rings, like of the format, basically, the seals mm-hmm. from existences. Because it can't hit anything except for lands. I kind of wish it could hit lands, but honestly, three mana stone rain be a little strong. Yeah. Uh, but it can't hit anything. The downside is negligible. This isn't generous gift or anything where they get a three three. They just get a one one. That barely doesn't barely matters at all. Uh, and the flexibility plus instant speed, I think, makes this a good player in standard, in a color that honestly does not have much going for it in this set. Sure. Yeah, it's fine. I mean, three mana removal, you only have a couple of slots for that. And sometimes it just, you know, on the draw, three mana removal is so bad. But the flexibility means that. Yeah, it's a sideboard card. Yeah. It, you like board it into it's a disenchant effect, like to kill the permanent types you're not really handled to deal with. Right. But it also can deal with a shielded or whatever. Yeah. And then, right, it can also handle a virtue or whatever. So, yeah, probably we'll see some play. Yeah, I, I was willing to go to this because I think it is a better role player than something like the the spellbook vendor we talked about last time, which I think mm-hmm. is still I still think that card's garbage. I'd, I'd rather <laughs> have this card involved in my top five than that one. Sure. Uh, my number four is Regal Bunnicorn. Bunnycorn. <laughs> I've heard it both ways. I don't actually know how to say it. Do you have a preference? No, I think Bunnycorn is cuter, but probably less correct. Yeah, I just say unicorn instead of unicorn, I guess. Mm-hmm. is why I yeah, I, I corn. But the <laughs> bunny corn. Mm-hmm. It's a one in a white star star with power and toughness equal to the number of non-land permanents you control. It does count itself, so it's always going to be at least a 1-1. One, one. Uh, and then it gets big, big, big really fast, especially if you're playing cards like Wedding Announcement or just the numerous token creators white creates. It's good with adventures like... Uh, virtue of loyalty because that makes a token and is a permanent on the backside mm-hmm. uh, and it's just big i don't think this is going to be a very good card in formats that aren't named standard yeah 
Uh, and honestly, the sheer vanilla is kind of puts me off of it a little bit in standard two, but two drops are not very powerful in standard, even with the three year standard. So if you just want a big threat on the board in your more board centric thing yeah. deck, uh, this is like the one to go to, I think. Yeah, I don't think it's like any like huge breaker or anything like that, but the amount of power and toughness you can get for very little mana investment in this is impressive and it plays well with cards that are already good, like wedding announcement, which is really important. And so if you can have any sort of deck that supports this well and is aggressive, like you're attacking, you know, this is a two drop that maybe doesn't die to cut down or at least like you can sandbag it a little bit so that it doesn't die to cut down and that's kind of nice uh, you, you can't like curve into not dying to cut down unless you play like a one drop that brings another permanent with it or something like that which it's I mean, honestly also hard to play a three drop that doesn't die to cut down some of the time i know yeah. <laughs> so but the, the fact that this can sometimes not die to cut down is nice and uh, you know, that's just a little bonus on top of what it is, which is just like hopefully a 4-4 or 5-5 five, five for two mana, which as long as you can do that reasonably consistently, that's good. Yeah, I mean, you only need two other permanents to make it a 3-3, three, three, which is above rate for what white normally gets. Mm -hmm. uh, anything more than that is gravy. And if you've got wet announcement or sagas, sagas usually make like a treasure or something. Not not Fable of the Mirror Breaker because it's banned, but... <laughs> They'll they'll generate permanence for you a lot of the time, uh, especially something like Restoration of a Ganjo. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Restoration. I don't know how many like Restoration and Wedding Announcement decks there are. That's like both of those. But curving this into either of those is good. So if that's kind of how your deck is built, then then that could be strong. Number three for me is going to be Expel the Interlopers. This is a neat little Wrath variant. I actually quite like, but. Again, only for standard. Uh, this is three white-white, so five mana total for a sorcery. You choose a number between zero and ten, and you destroy all creatures of power greater than or equal to the chosen number. So if you've got a few two-twos and your opponent has some shieldreds or whatever in play, you just pick three, and you keep all your two-twos, and all their stuff dies. It's awkward because most wraths you don't want at such a high mana value and encouraging your you yourself to play creatures mm -hmm. but it's also just a five mana wrath you can pick zero and everything dies yeah i think a lot of the use cases like sunfall is just going to be really preferable unless you specifically are a wedding announcement deck in which case you know this this can do that thing where you keep some stuff around, kill all of their blockers, hit them for some damage, and then you're just ahead from there, which is obviously very good anytime it works out. Yeah, I think even in most wedding announcement decks, Sunfall will be better. It's just Sunfall is a very strong card. Sure. But again, I, I'm reaching here in white. I could have put like the Moonshaker Calvary, but I don't think that card sees any play anywhere. I don't think it's even Commander. good in Commander, so. I, I don't want to speak to Commander. I don't play that format. Yeah, but I mean, that card is deeply unexciting to me. This card at least is, you know, potentially a fine sideboard card for small creature decks against bigger creature decks. So that's that's a roll. I have lost to Dawn to Dusk, the Aftermath card. Mm -hmm. uh, and this is a much worse rate because it's five mana instead of four. But it's got a similar type deal. Yeah, where and it's a little more flexible. Deck. 
Yes. Uh, it doesn't have the buyback of, you know, drawing a bunch of cards on the back half. <laughs> no, but that was also, also kind of like, I find in cube, the that's gravy. like a huge trap a lot of the time. Like you really want to make Dusk of Dawn. I, I love Dusk of Dawn. I have like a soft spot in my heart for it, but I trick myself into playing it in cube more often than I should. <laughs> the front side's good. You just, you can you, you can win a lot of games with the front side of it. You and can. Ho hopefully Expel can do something in a spot where you wouldn't just play Sunfall instead. Sure. Yep. Uh, my number two is Werefox Bodyguard, which is a card I actively like. Uh, one white-white for 2-2 two, two Elf Fox Knight with Flash. Uh, when enters the battlefield, you can exile another non-Fox creature until Werefox Bodyguard leaves the battlefield, and you can pay two mana and sack it to gain two life. And that puts the creature back into play, too. Talked about this on the, the very last episode. This is the Fiend Hunter, or the Brutal Cathar of the set but it trades off the aggressiveness of Brutal Cathar for flash and flexibility. So you can keep your options open. I don't know often how useful flash is really in these white creature decks, uh, but the like joke is you can bodyguard your creature. You can protect your own guy. And when the Boyerfox bodyguard dies, you get your guy back. Yeah, I think that kind of split card effect between a, you know, not very well-priced, protection effect but a protection effect nonetheless and a removal spell that also contributes a body like you know there there are games where just you curve out and you play like one drop two drop uh you know banisher priest your blocker attack like you, they don't have an efficient way of killing the banisher priest and they just like fall way behind this card can do that this card can play you know a, a flash game where you like wait for them to play something and then end of turn you get like you know that that is even more effective because you can go one drop two drop then on their like third turn they play a creature and then you eot flash in the bodyguard get rid of it get to attack with the bodyguard immediately and then even if they kill the bodyguard they have taken damage and and not been able to block for a turn i i think this card is just pretty good and one of the best banisher priests we've ever seen i mean one of the other banisher priests best banisher priests is still in standard right now but i think that there will be spots where this is better than brutal cathar also spots where it's worse yeah, at the very least it's not awkward when your like opponent has shielded in play draws land and passes so it's nighttime and you can't cathar them <laughs> you yeah. can't get the shielder off the board <laughs> <laughs> at least that doesn't happen for this card true but but i also think it's very awkward or it's very good in Werefox Bodyguard's case, where you, in post-board games, you usually have a lot more spells, and you're playing around a lot more of your opponent's stuff, so you can make more aggressive attacks into your opponent's open mana or board, and then use your bodyguard on your own creatures a little more effectively. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that that flexibility between being a removal spell and being a, a, a flexible utility spell is really nice. You're not just drawing all of your narrow kill spell you're not drawing a bunch of glass caskets against the removal deck yeah it's also nice when you like need to leave open destroy evil or something like that mm -hmm. uh, and then they don't have something that's evil that you can destroy so you just deploy a bodyguard end of turn and just start attacking yeah flash is good i i think that this card is quite good uh and my number one is virtue of loyalty which is a card i i really like uh this is a five mana enchantment with an adventure side the enchantment is three white white at the beginning of your instep. Put a plus one plus one counter on each creature you control and untap them. The adventure side is a two mana instant, one and a white. Create a two two white knight creature token with vigilance. 
So early game, it's a 2-2 with Vigilance, pretty bad, just kind of a whatever creature. But it comes along with a pretty strong enchantment side that does, you know, after you've contributed to your board with your your little knight and whatever other creatures you've got going on, wedding announcement maybe, you can start taking over the game pretty quickly. This is an in-step trigger, so you don't get to, you know, on your turn five or whatever, play it, make all your creatures bigger, and have a big attack. You do have to wait an extra turn, mm-hmm. which is a bit of a bummer, but it does let you play offense-defense really well, and you can basically not lose combat once this card's in play. Yeah. I mean, that's that's what the text of this thing is. It's just like, if you both have bodies, like, your creatures are better than theirs, and that's pretty good. Like, obviously, two mana for a 2-2 Vigilance is not great but two mana for a two two vigilance draw a card as long as that card is good at instance like in your cast of the two two at instant speed too which is nice that can be really really good and if you have like especially if you just have like a bunch of utility creatures in your deck like you know you're playing your wedding announcements obviously because that card is like really your good. Werefox bodyguards right so two, your two, two, mana. right and then that that's just a body any bodies that you have that are doing other stuff and then they just start picking up plus one plus one counters at some point in the game and become real threats then that's that's really good and and it just turns these like random two twos and one ones and stuff into like oh yeah you're getting murdered by them i also like the confluence of flash bodies in mm-hmm. this card and where fox bodyguard because it allows you to play more of a you wait to see what your opponent does in your aggressive deck like some of these decks would like to play I don't want to call them combat tricks, but like interactive spells mm-hmm. at instant speed and have something to back up on, but they just like are forced to have out for sorcery creatures. And this lets you, these two cards let you have a little more game into that. Like I really enjoy that white is getting a lot more flash cards in this yeah. last year or so. Yeah. If, uh, if reprieve were in standard, then I would be, you know, oh, yeah, baby. <laughs> <laughs> That would be number one. Yeah, that one would be pretty good. Remand and standard is for as as much as remand does not like keep up in modern or whatever anymore. In standard, that card would be very very good. I'm honestly curious what blue cards would even compete in standard with remand because I'm just looking at the Ravnica set. Like telling time was good at the time. Compulsive research was very strong actually. Because it enabled the reanimator decks. Yeah. But but Remand's probably number one. But like, you know, we have better versions of, of compulsive research now that like don't really see play. Yeah, the different different time. And compulsive research was then just a riff on Thirst for Knowledge, right? That's yeah. the Mirrodin one. Yeah. And now we have riffs on compulsive research. Yeah. <laughs> uh but those are my white cards. Yeah, I think white's pretty weak in the set, unfortunately. But it does have some cards I'm really excited about in the the bodyguard and the virtue of loyalty. The yeah. bodyguard, especially for standard, <clears throat> and it has already in standard a lot of the support for this kind of stuff that you want. You know, we said wedding announcement like ten times already, but <laughs> that is one of the best cards in standard and will still be legal and kind of like fits right into the natural curves that a lot of these cards are giving you and is sort of a perfect piece of the puzzle with like all of them so i i have reasonably high hopes for white going forward from here my top five so my number five is hopeful vigil 
This is one in a white for an enchantment. When it ETBs, you create a 2-2 white knight creature token with vigilance. When it's put into a graveyard from play, you scry two, and it has two and a white sacrifice hopeful vigil. So this isn't a very good card. It's more of a speculative thing for if there is something that wants you to be able to sacrifice enchantments, whether it is to Beseech the Mirror or Doom Foretold or something like this. You know, this is a thing that puts something on the board, doesn't need your opponent to have like played something for you to kill for it to get some amount of value. It scries when it dies. It's not like very powerful, but it could be part of an engine. Uh, it like gives you some a couple of pieces of stuff on board and gives you some value when it dies to whatever you're sacrificing your like enchantment that no longer has text to. Yeah, I I, I like that actually. This card's solid. It's it definitely wants you to sacrifice it to bargain or something. But yep, it's... as long as you can use it. I mean, sometimes in your enigmatic incarnation decks, this usually can't play white in very early in the turns. But this is an option for those well, decks to play something I mean, that actually gets depending on, on how you build it too. Like a lot of times, the enigmatic incarnation deck, like you want to have like a lot of skyclave apparitions in it. And if you're building your deck like that, then you might want to like lean your mana base more towards Bant. Obviously, you need to be able to cast Fable of the Mirror Breaker because that card is busted. So that complicates all of the mana base discussions. But there is a potential Bant leaning build of of incarnation but the problem is you have now. to somehow justify a 2-2 being better than a basic land off of path to the world tree sure which i think is hard to justify actually yeah i that's probably true but as long as you can have some plan with getting rid of this enchantment for value mm -hmm. i think this card's playable sure uh my number four is spellbook vendor I know you don't like this one, but this is one in a white. This is this is just worse than the last card you said. Hmm. <laughs> well, so the last card is a speculative card for more powerful formats. I think Spellbook Vendor is a card that has synergies and also just like a place probably in standard. So I, that puts it a little bit above like speculative card for older, more powerful formats that it is going to that just are inherently difficult to find a foothold in. Spellbook Vendor is one in a white for a 2-2 human peasant with vigilance. At the beginning of combat on your turn, you may pay one. When you do, create a sorcerer roll token attached to target creature you control. And the sorcerer roll gives it plus one, plus one, and whenever it attacks, scry one. You know, obviously, as we've talked about before, this is no Luminarch Aspirant. It is much more awkward since you have to pay and you can't stack the counters. But it has vigilance itself. It So its, it's body can be like... Rel reasonably relevant it creates a bunch of like weird little pieces of cardboard that you can do stuff with and that's just like a little bit too much I, I don't know what we are bargaining with in standard or anything like that but it's just a little bit too much to not do something at some point in standard I think that this will see standard play whether it's as a bad Luminarch Aspirant or creating those like little in-game tchotchkes to do stuff with. Um, some combination of like that effectiveness is, is going to be relevant at some point. I think this card is only playable with two other cards in the set, which are um, the, what's it called? The two mana enchantment, uh, a Tale for the Ages, which is a two mana enchantment that gives everything plus two plus two. That is enchanted. Yeah. And and slash or uh, Archon of the Wild Rose, which is a four mana four four flyer 
that makes all of your enchanted creatures have base power, toughness, 4-4, four, four, and flying. I think it's also a two-drop that goes reasonably well with Revo Bunnycorn. So I, I think there's like other places that synergies with this thing will pop up. I can agree with the Regal Bunnycorn thing, but I don't think that's powerful enough to matter. I think it may be powerful enough to justify it as a two drop in your deck, though. I don't know. I've got I've got two as I'd rather play somehow. Yeah. I think this will do something. I think that the fact that it can create a permanent every turn is a little bit. There are a few too many things that that could do to ignore this card completely. I want to agree, but I couldn't find uses for those permanents, and I tried. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. I'm not, like, psyched about it. I'm not, like, excited to build Spellbook Vendor decks yet. But there's something there, I think. Okay. My number three is Regal Bunnycorn. It's just very big for two mana. The biggest rabbit unicorn you've ever seen. Yep, it doesn't look very big in its art, but we we know we know what. Maybe it, will it doesn't do. have any other non-land permanents right now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's solo right now. <laughs> uh, my number two is Virtue of Loyalty. I think this card is obviously very good, but my number one is Werefox Bodyguard, and I just think that the like flash and the just kind of generic utility of that card is going to make it see. Like, I, I think it'll see play in more different decks than Virtue of Loyalty, which kind of requires you to be a very creature heavy. A creature deck. Yeah. 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 No no arguments. Those cards are good. Yep. All right. Moving on to blue. Blue cards. All right. We have a, you know, honorable mention, sleight of hand. It's a reprint, but it's going to matter a lot in Bioneer. You now have 12 cantrips for one blue mana in Bioneer, and... I probably just want to build Phoenix with 12 cantrips in it. So I think that that alone makes this card very good and very important. And there will be other uses for it, too. I'll, I'll cut into this because I have Sleight of Hand as straight up number one. Usually I don't put reprints as number <laughs> one, but I think Sleight of Hand is actually hugely important for Pioneer mm -hmm. because it revives Phoenix basically single handedly sure. and makes the deck incredibly consistent especially since the current Phoenix deck is still trying to do Galvanic Iteration uh, Trespass stuff, mm -hmm. that becomes really easy to set up once you're cantripping so much. And yep. you're always going to have a Phoenix, so you can have pressure while you're setting this up. And it's just, it matters a lot, I think, for the, the Pioneer format. I, I agree. And I do think that you want to be focusing pretty hard on doing the, the time stretch combo. Because that's the thing that beats most of the stuff that just like removals like it. It is good against everything that removal spells and treasure cruise is not good against. And so you need to be good at doing both of those things for Phoenix to be a good deck. Right. I I have as longtime listeners and all, I've basically exclusively played Lotus Field for like the last year mm -hmm. in Pioneer tournaments that I care about. And I have not lost a match against Phoenix yet because it's just not an access they're equipped to deal with. And they're right. a little too slow at assembling their temporal trespass combo. And with sleight of hand, that matchup goes from like basically the matchup I want to see the most that it, that's reasonable to expect in a Pioneer tournament mm -hmm. to like, I don't know, maybe I'll lose this a lot more often now. Yeah. Cause they're yep. going to have pressure more often. They're going to be able to find their combo more often. And I'm like actually under a clock to do something. Yeah. 
It also makes like Ledger Shredder a lot more reliable. Like not only are you basically guaranteed to trigger connive on your turn three with it, whether you cast it on turn two or you cast it on turn three, but I think you're more likely to trigger connive on future turns going forward because you just have that higher density of cantrips. Right. All right, we can go to your actual fives now, because that was your honorable mention slash my just straight up number one. I think that card's hugely important. Yeah, I, I I mean, I think it's probably the most important blue card in the set, but it is a reprint and it's like only the reprintness of it is only relevant for Pioneer specifically, et cetera, et cetera. I wouldn't have gone for it if I didn't think blue was very weak. Yeah, it's not the best. I mean, my number five card is a, a deep cut. So, you know, OK, hit me with it. All right, it's Extraordinary Journey. This is XX Blue Blue for an enchantment. When it enters the battlefield, exile up to X target creatures. For each of those cards, its owner may play it for as long as it remains exiled. Whenever one or more non-token creatures enter the battlefield, if one or more of them entered from exile or was cast from exile, you draw a card. This ability triggers only once each turn. So I think that this is pretty bad as like a weird, like a sort of temporarily bounce like a bounce spell for multiple creatures is basically like what it does if you're using it as an x spell but i think that potentially the combination of like yeah later in the game you can effectively bounce multiple creatures but also you can cast this for two mana and then whenever anybody casts an adventure creature after casting the adventure you get to draw a card and that had depending on how the format shakes out, obviously you want to be playing adventure creatures to make this do its thing, but that could just be like, all right, two mana, like you are now completely gimped. I'm going to draw five cards off of this thing over the course of the game. And, uh, that seems pretty good. And then if you draw it later, you can bounce stuff with it. I don't think that it's that likely this is an effect that you want, but it is pretty cheap and there, there could be matchups where that's very good. So this is actually my number five as well. Okay. Because <laughs> <laughs> I I really like the utility of this card for two mana synergy piece. Like uh, I thought about, I just started thinking about random things you can tag with it uh, other than adventures because I think it's kind of tricky to play with adventures mm-hmm. um, because I think the adventures are at least in blue centered kind of weak or are the otter which is a different tech entirely <laughs> yeah yeah for sure but even within the otter and this card uh the interlap i found was reckless impulse mm-hmm. which is a, a really good benefit for this card i know yeah. you don't need to draw more cards with your reckless impulse deck but if you're doing it on top of the other stuff you're doing that that's a lot of cards sure it also randomly draws cards of creativity which is not important but <laughs> It's yeah, it's pretty cute that it is but... against the creativity decks that do not kill you outright. Uh, it it can draw a card, and a future copy can just get the creature off the table, like the attracts mm-hmm. off the table. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely enough stuff here, and the fact that the base mode of this card is just two mana, which is as we yeah, talked me- about before, a spot in the curve that a lot of standard decks don't have anything proactive to do. It meets your Luris requirement. Meets your Luris requirement. <laughs> I guess they didn't get cast from exile, so even under the old companion rule, companions wouldn't trigger this, but Yeah. It needs a command zone somewhere in there. <laughs> but yeah, there's there's something to it. And also like combine it with like the Werefox or something like that. And it's just you, you will draw cards over the course of the game with effects like that. 
Oh yeah, that's actually fair. That's something I didn't consider. Um, my number four is Asinine Antics. Uh, all of the like blue cards are just like kind of weird cards that you can't super parse until you've actually played with them. I think there's literally only two cards in the set in, in the blue cards that make any sense, and that's yes. disdainful stroke and sleight of hand. <laughs> uh, Asinine Antics is two and two blue for a sorcery. You may cast it as though it had flash. If you pay two more to cast it for each creature your, your opponent's control, create a cursed roll token attached to that creature, which makes it a one one. So I think that this if there is a matchup where like you are a creature deck and there are bigger creature decks in the format, this is potentially a good sideboard card to make their creatures worse than your fairies. And then every once in a while, somebody will get absolutely blown out by forgetting that you can cast it as an instant for two mana and just like attack into you and then get all their creatures turned into one ones and you get like two good blocks out of it or whatever. Uh, that's not as relevant as just like oh man you're playing all these like three threes and four fours but let's turn them into one ones and and go from there which you know sideboard card but there have definitely been decks in the past that would have been happy to sideboard this because of problems in the format that it would have solved yeah i i don't believe in this card very much because i think that's hard to find a spot for but it Mm -hmm. definitely has a clear role (laughs) i can give it that I mean, there are, you know, teamer creature mirrors in in the past that like this would have been a an A plus sideboard card. I You need the right conditions to make this a valuable one, and they may not come about uh, even even in a three year standard, but it's there if you need it. My number three is Horned Lock Whale. This is a an adventure creature, six mana for a six, six flash ward two and it enters the battlefield tapped unless it's your turn. Its adventure is Lagoon Breach, one in a blue for an instant. The owner of target attacking creature you don't control puts it on the top or bottom of their library. Just a pretty efficient, you know, not fully removal spell, but problem solver or or like problem delayer in a controlling deck that isn't dead against anybody. If you play a mirror, you can still just cast this as a 6-6 at the end of their turn without having tap mana on your turn. And I think that that flexibility and also the fact that like against an aggressive deck, you cast this, you get their Godric or whatever was going to be a huge problem and you at least stall it for a little bit. And then you did go, you did get an advantage on that exchange. You have that 6-6 ready for whenever you have gotten to that amount of lands and mostly stabilized you cast this and then it ends the game in a couple of attacks before you get burned out or something no i i like this card a lot because it's the the front side being azorius charm uh, a little worse azorius charm mm-hmm. but you don't have to be blue white uh is nice attached to a giant creature on the back half yeah like you're, you're not going to ambush anyone with the creature for multiple reasons but the buyout of uh just have a big creature now (laughs) it's pretty nice yeah and with ward two it's very very difficult to kill this at any sort of mana advantage because you already got value out of it right like you're almost always going to cast the first the adventure before the creature just like all the other adventure creatures in thermoville drain yeah so even if they can deal with it very efficiently like they they void render it or something something that you know just goes through ward Mm mm-hmm you got your card out of it anyway like it doesn't matter yep yeah no i like this card i think i mean at for standard purposes obviously but i think it's right. a very good standard card yeah in pioneer you can just like raisin bar and that's most of this card at a significantly cheaper rate and a lot more flexible but yep. you know 
can't do that in standard. <laughs> no. I, I which will I'm, ask. Which I'm fine with. I, I, I like, I appreciate the designs of these adventure cards uh, just for gameplay purposes a, a little bit more. No, yeah, the adventures are a lot better balanced this go around. A lot less formulaic. Yeah. Uh, do do whales live in lakes? I it seems a little cramped for a whale, doesn't it? Right. Like, look at the art. That lake does not look much bigger than the whale. I I think this must be like a Loch Ness monster reference. So, I I think that is probably kind of like the inspiration for this. Okay, but that lake is tiny. <laughs> yeah. No, it's it's rough times for the horned Loch whale. I mean, good thing it's eating this griffin because it's not getting enough nourishment in that no, little lake. No, there's no way because it doesn't have baleen. It's not like eating algae or anything like that. It's like right. or krill, I guess. I mean, it's it does a... in the other art, which is weird. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's kind of mythological, so perhaps the the renderings don't have to be consistent. Yeah, there's two different lakes with a a horned lock whale in them. <laughs> Anyways, my oh, was that my number two? Maybe I only had four blue cards. All right, well, maybe we count sleight of hand as my number one then, because it's obviously okay. better than all of these cards. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so my number two or whatever it is then is Sleep Cursed Fairy. This is one blue mana for a three three flying ward two, and is a battlefield tapped with three stun counters on it, and one in a blue to untap it. Which, just in case anybody doesn't know how stun counters work, if you pay one in a blue to untap it, then that gets replaced by remove a stun counter until it's out of stun counters. But I like how you can cast this on turn one and then it turns on your fairy stuff and they really can't get rid of a, a one mana creature with ward two. Like there's no way to kill that efficiently. So it will turn on your fairy stuff. And then eventually it does become like a very relevant body where it is like a three, three flying ward two so still difficult to kill even later in the game and it untaps itself if that blocking is relevant at all i don't know just very cheap and kind of does its thing yeah this card i also like uh mostly because i i, I really like spell stutter the the counter spell that's like a quench plus one for each you control mm -hmm. i was trying to look at fairies in pioneer to see if you could like feasibly play them instead of spirits the conclusion I came to was no, you definitely cannot. No, there's but, no bitter blossom in Pioneer, but or sleep, or Spellstarter Sprite. We're we're missing like the good ones. But like sleep, sleep, cursed fairy, and brazen borrower and Spellstarter mm -hmm. kind of led me to go down that hole of like, can we make these cards good? Like these are sure. not bad cards. Unfortunately, it's the other fairies that are dragging you down. Yeah, it just doesn't quite get there. I think that, right, like that power level would probably be there if you could run Bitter Blossom and Spellstarter Sprite. Like that would be like the makings of a Pioneer deck. But Yeah, this is a stronger deck in Eldraine Draft than it is in Pioneer. Yeah, because you can get Bitter Blossom for it. <laughs> I've definitely already seen the Bitter Blossom plus Intangible Virtue screenshots, which are, uh, yeah, that's, that's a tough one. When that happens to you at the pre-release, you're just like, this was fun, but I'm going home. You get you get a <laughs> refund, actually. It's like in the small print. <laughs> in each booster pack. Yeah. If your opponent does this to you, um, you get to leave. It's fine. Yeah, we, we put this in the set. Just, um, we're sorry. <laughs> it's like the same thing that happened when your opponent 
uh, Sahili comboed you or Painter Grindstone comboed you in Kaladesh draft. Yes. <laughs> or, you know, played a Soul Ring. Yeah, same same deal. <laughs> soul Ring into Busted Vehicle. All right. Mm-hmm. We're okay. done here. I've also seen X in a red. You get X rats that can't block and they your creatures gain haste until end of turn. I've also seen... Yeah, I think it was an LSV game where his opponent went intangible virtue in turn two. And he's like, oh, okay. I wonder what that is. Oh, okay. X equals four. Attack you for eight. Keep these two twos around. Yeah, they can't block, but, you know, they're going to be attacking every turn. <laughs> yeah, you cannot beat this. Sorry. Uh, my That was all five of your cards, right? Yeah. So my five is very similar up to a point. So five is Journey. Four is Sleep Cursed Fairy because of yeah, it's still I, I just a guy yeah yeah i think hornlock will is a little better so it has the nod it's at number three sure uh my two is the weird one uh which i it's a card i very much like and do not know where it goes this okay. is gadwick's first duel oh yeah i do like this one too so this is one in a blue saga uh chapter one is create a cursed rule token attached to up to one target creature chapter two and that's the role that makes it a one one Chapter 2 is Scry 2, and Chapter 3 is when you cast your next instant or sorcery spell with mana value 3 or less, copy it, and you can choose new targets for the copy. This does a lot of the things I like in Piddly to mana enchantments that set up like some sort of synergy. A, it sets up the synergy, like Scrying 2 to get to whatever you're trying to do with it, plus the Chapter 3 of copying your spell it is a really nice one-two punch, mm-hmm. which would be pretty bad like because the... What's the third path card? Founding a third path? Is that the yeah. one I'm thinking of? Yeah. Because that card exists and is pretty reasonable too. And it has a similar space. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this one has a little bit of upside over it in that it can actually affect the board. <laughs> yeah. You can shrink your opponent's like Pelucranus or whatever when it comes into play. Yeah. I don't think it is like a game breaker or anything. I think it's just a good enabler for a deck I don't know what it's trying to do. But it is a right. card to like have on my radar for, all right, this produces cardboard. It gets you to whatever you're trying to do. And if you can utilize the enchantment, like if you can bargain it away or you're just trying to set up a good adventure turn, I guess, you could do the Gadwick's first duel. Well, you can bargain away the, the cursed roll token too. And then yeah. like this, yeah, I, I think there's like a bunch of ways to get value out of it. Yeah, that's that's a cool part of this card. You can bargain away the roll if the creature doesn't matter because you mm-hmm. can always just put it on whatever creature. Yeah, and then if it doesn't, if you don't care about its sizing, you can just bargain it away. I think the the thing that's weird about that is the only strong bargain card is Beseech the Mirror. I think pretty much, which is really good. And honestly, maybe I think you can build a Beseech the Mirror deck in a lot of different directions. And this is a card I will be looking at if I want to play blue with Besiege the Mirror. Yeah. I think it's kind of where I end up. I think it's pretty intentional. That So so a few things just kind of like don't line up exactly in ways that are obnoxious. I don't like that you scry two after you draw on your third turn. So this does a turn, yeah. really bad job of like letting you hit your third land drop. Which, if it if it helped you hit your third land drop, then I'd be like really into this card, uh, but it doesn't do that. And when you cast your next instant or sorcery spell with mana value three or less this turn, 
But if you cast this on turn two, then you get that on your turn four. And so you're not, and not that there's a ton of four mana instant or sorceries, but you can't just like have a banger of a turn four with this thing and, and, and copy something really good. You're copying a utility spell, basically some, some sort of like small card drawing thing or removal spell or hand disruption or something, which can be very good, but you know, we're not going like, and probably it would be way too good. But there's no dream of like turn two Gadwick's first duel, turn four double Beseech the Mirror or something like that. Uh, that that wouldn't be okay. But it's... you can at least Beseech after this pops off on chapter three. You can Beseech the Cursed Roll. Yeah. And then grab a three drop spell and double it. That's true. So it can make it really consistent that you do the thing that you want to do. So that's kind of nice. Right. Like it's it's still not bad with the Beseech, even if it feels like you should be able to get more, which I agree with. <laughs> Just give it to me. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I think that like a cu- the, the main thing that I think is awkward about it is that it doesn't help you make your third land drop, which is really unfortunate for kind of like what this card looks like it's trying to do. You have mm-hmm. to have your lands lined up in order for the scry two to help you do the other thing with it but that's okay i guess like that's that's only relevant in the games where you are missing your third land drop i i I do like this i agree that i don't i can't see the deck that it goes into but i do like it yeah i think it's open ended enough to kind of have a space that you can play around with it if it never sees play that's fine like yep it's at least interesting sure it's uh another one for the uh Tameshi decks that's just like every every like two two to three mana <laughs> blue or white saga saga is just like yeah put put me in a Tameshi cube deck please i mean yeah the, i think all the blue two mana sagas are better with Tameshi than this with one. Tameshi, yeah probably yeah. but whatever <laughs> fair enough all right let's go to what i think is the best color in this set by a lot yes black is good Black is very good. Like some of these colors, white and blue, I'm struggling to find five. Black, I had a bunch. Uh, and that's not including Not Dead After All. I definitely left off some good ones from my my black top five. I'm not even going to mention any honorable mentions. We'll go straight into number five. And I need to scroll way down to the bottom of Scryfall because it's a jumpstart card hidden away in oh the God. standard portion of the set. So this is a card that is legal in standard and Pioneer and all the other cards. But you can't open it in a regular pack. You cannot open it in a regular pack. Okay. It's Experimental Confectioner. Uh, This is 2 and a B for a 2-3 human peasant. When it ETBs, you make a food token. Uh, And whenever you sacrifice a food, you create a 1-1 black rat that can't block. Mm -hmm. This is a combo card in big, like, bright lights. Yeah, It's doing the thing. Whenever you sacrifice a food, make a creature. How do you sacrifice a food for free? Well... (laughs) Uh, there's an infinite that's very easy that's just straight up two cards uh it's confectioner and peregrine took from lord of the rings so this is a modern only or modern and back combo where if you have uh, pippin in play that, that card reads whenever you make a token create that many food in addition uh, and you can sacrifice three food with pippin to draw a card so if you have three food and both of these cards in play, you can sacrifice them all to Pippa and draw a card. That makes three rats, which will make three food. Then you can sacrifice the three food to draw a card. That'll make three rats and three more food, and, and so on and so on. Yeah. So you could basically have as many rats as you have cards in your library times three, which is a lot of rats. Should be enough. 
<laughs> I mean, you know, if you pass the turn and like get wrathed or something, like hopefully we are doing bigger and better things than passing the turn and hoping to attack with our rats. Yeah, you could always play some like impact trimmers. Is that the guard that whenever a creature enters the battlefield, you you ping them for one or something like that? Yeah, that I'm thinking of. Sure. There's I mean, a million if, cards. If these rats were green, then it would be like built in because then you could just cord once you have some rats in play, and and then you would kill them. But these rats are black, unfortunately. Uh, yeah, you just need literally anything in play that yeah. converts these racks into damage. Goblin bombardment works too, uh, and then you're you're good to go, right? You win the game on the spot. And if you don't, your opponent does have to have a wrath, or they'll die the next turn. <laughs> and wrath yeah. is not a very played card in modern. You know what is not actually wrath of God? Fury <laughs> does not kill all the rats. It's not going to kill quite <laughs> enough rats, even if you do, you know, new undying malice it. Um, this also like, you know, once you have enough things that trigger off of food doing stuff and also make food, you know, you, your deck just does get more angles. Like anytime Asmore like sacrifices two foods to kill something and then you also get some rats from it. Like, uh, you know, obviously paying three mana for this creature in modern is not like what you want to be doing yeah. in any sort of fair mode. But whenever you don't have your combo together, anything else that it also is contributing is helpful. No, yeah, it's it's very good. I have Devouring Sugar Mana later portion, since it's not actually a black card. Uh-huh. But this Experimental Confectioner and Sugar Mana are, like, core part and parcel of, like, a Glimpse deck that just wins with food now. <laughs> because early versions of Glimpse of Tomorrow played Tireless Provisioner, which was a three-drop that had landfall. You could either make a food or a treasure when mm -hmm. it landed into the battlefield. And you would always make treasure because you're not doing anything with food. But nowadays, you can actually make food and do stuff with it for, yeah. for mana neutral or free. Uh, and you can use the treasures as you always have to just keep going. Uh, and that's a neat little... Now you can just glimpse into these cards into play while you're setting up with your Sugar Mon, your Wave Sifter or whatever. <laughs> and you don't have to worry about how am I going to play three three drops in modern one after another and have them all be in play at the same time for their combo thing. Like, yeah. you just put them all into play in the first place, and you're good to go. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, this is just a three-drop with a triggered ability that is, like, kind of exploitable and lends itself to a bunch of shenanigans with it. And yeah. probably most of the decks that do this are going to be quite bad, but at some point, the food deck becomes real. One one day, it will work. If I had a, a Viscerous here that sacked a food to drain a life... Mm -hmm game it's over sure yeah you still have to pay mana for that on all the stuff that we can do that with right now yeah. the closest i have is the witch common in the set that you pay two and sack a food to, to hit them for three i think yeah but that was my number five uh, my number four is also black cards are cool in the set because they're they're very aspirational you just like <laughs> do whatever you want with them uh, so my number four is hopeless nightmare this yep. is the enchantment counterpart to the white card we were discussing earlier uh, it's just a single black mana. When it ATBs, each opponent discards a card and loses two life. Uh, you can pay three mana to sacrifice it. And when it's put into a grave from the battlefield, you scry two. So this is this, I don't want to call it the centerpiece, but it is a cog in a bargain slash doom foretold. I, I really want to work on doom foretold and pioneer with this yeah. card and besiege and iron crag and a, a couple other cards uh, because it is 
evil enchanties essentially <laughs> and there's always a lot there's a lot of value to be had in just the enchantment space in pioneer especially mm-hmm. after this set and hopeless nightmare being a a card neutral one drop that actually does a little bit of damage to your opponent and has value in the back half mm-hmm. not really with besiege but it does with doom foretold uh that that's appealing uh, all for just one mana yeah i mean the fact that it costs one is so key because so few of these like piece of cardboard on the table that gets a card as it comes in so few of them cost one mana almost n- none of them yeah. yeah you had to play with a like, golden egg and stuff back when doom foretold was in standard just to get mm-hmm. your card uh this one does not put you up card it puts your opponent down card but it also hurts them <laughs> and you do need to finish the game you can't actually just accrue value forever uh, that's not a good way to that's why the four color decks don't exist in pioneer anymore right that just wasn't a viable strategy yeah and i actually don't hate the let me take a card from you part of because like you going up a card or or at least being card neutral because you drew a card rather than card neutral because you took one from them like that tends to be better in matchups like where the stuff you're doing is already kind of good like there's some some critical mass of like i have this many ravenous rats effects in my deck that will help keep you from like will help keep your lotus field opponent from having the cards to get you with or whatever because they're like trying to make their land drops and you're stripping other resources from them you know uh, two hopeless nightmare triggers or whatever is not going to get you there but like hopeless nightmare and thought sees you and then this doom foretold trigger takes another card from you and then i get a this doom foretold back into play from whatever and get another card from you out of it like eventually you've just like made them discard enough cards that they haven't made their land drops and have enough stuff to kill you and there's there's some some way potentially of putting together you know i'm gonna blink now my hopeless nightmare with this yorion too and just like get enough cards out of you that you never quite have enough to kill me with yeah this is good i look forward to playing doom foretold stuff and i think this is an important card in that in that shell yeah i agree Uh, i don't know if it plays anywhere else but that doesn't really matter to me no as long as it has a spot then it's a good card Number three is Virtue of Persistence. This is the black enchantment slash adventure thing. Uh, There's a lot of these that are good. It is seven mana for an enchantment. Uh, At the beginning of your upkeep, put a creature card from any graveyard under the battlefield under your control. So it's a debtor's nail. If you've played since 2006 and know what that card is. Uh, (laughs) Or or Commander. I guess it's popular in Commander. Uh, It has an adventure, which is Lockthwain's Scorn. Uh, one in a black for a sorcery target creature gets minus three minus three until end of turn and you gain two life not three life two life uh every spoiler show i've seen going over this card always does three life because it makes sense but it it, it is not three life (laughs) this card's great uh yeah mostly because it's a solid and good removal spell in the early game uh, minus three, minus three, until end of turn kills a bunch of stuff that you want maybe to save your cutdowns for. Because you, when you have both sorcery speed and instant speed removal in your deck, you want to run out the sorcery speed stuff first. So you are more flexible later in the game. Uh, mm-hmm. This gives you a little bit of a life buffer, which is nice. And the seven mana spell is really strong if you can actually extend yeah. the game to that portion. Yeah, which, you know, you're trying to do because the first part of this is a removal spell that gains you life. Like, that is a spell whose only purpose is to extend the game. So, the two halves are pretty cohesive. I mean, seven mana on the enchantment side is certainly 
expensive. Seven mana doesn't do anything until the next turn after yeah. you play it. But you, I mean, for standard play at least, like I'm treating that as mostly a freebie. Like if the removal spell is reasonably well positioned and you also have some games that go pretty long, then this card's just great. It's also nice that like one of the better creatures that you can reasonably play uh, that you can just bring back to from the graveyard is Shieldred. And that's just already in black. Yeah. Yep. Um, I was playing this card in. So, you know, I put together Golgari Adventures for for Pioneer, but then was only able to play it in Explorer. And I will say playing this card with Lucky Clover was really, <laughs> really, really good, even in uh, against what were mostly Pioneer decks, you know, obviously having Lucky Clover and play in the mid-range matchups, like I played against a bunch of Rakdos mid-range, but having Lucky Clover and play obviously good against them, but this is one of the reasons it was so good against them. I just take out two creatures, gain four life, uh, not be in danger of dying to stuff, or they'd play Shieldred, and then two copies of this is another removal spell that kills Shieldred, and that like flexibility was really good, and yeah, obviously that is a pretty limited set of circumstances like play this with lucky clover obviously it is good with that is lucky clover good enough in pioneer uh, i don't know Jury's but still out. <laughs> it was pretty impressive and the life buffer that this created by you know casting two or even three copies of it with double clover out made you like okay well we're not going to die to stuff and then eventually we are going to cast the seven mana part of this bring back a shieldred every turn until my opponent dies and you know that that was pretty cool, but playing with it in Pioneer where it or in Explorer where it just felt good enough makes me really optimistic for its chances in standard as just a card. Yeah, I, I think this card's solid. I want to go to the end, which is number two on my list. <laughs> this card is impossible to search for trying to yes. add it to your deck on Arena or Magic Online because just a billion cards come up when you type in the end. Yeah, until end of turn, until yep. the end, whatever. Mm -hmm. did, did you try the... No, it doesn't even work. Anyway, this is a, a four-minute instant. Two black black. Costs two less if your life tool is five or less. Uh, but it exiles target creature or planeswalker, and you get to search to extract them for all the other copies. Uh, and they draw a card if you get any from their hand. We talked about this on the last episode, I think, pretty extensively. Uh, it is a really good removal spell, especially in... A format like standard or even pioneer against some decks like monogreen where they have uh, a heavy density of their decks threats are in just a couple of cards and getting one off the table and the rest of them that you don't have to worry about for the rest of the game is actually a pretty huge deal yeah uh, especially if that card is card in the great creator because all of a sudden they just don't have a sideboard either yeah and they're limited to one game plan at that point which is beat you down so as long as you have that covered then you're very happy with your spot and in standard it gets all the shieldreds out of the format like if you have a shieldred and your opponent doesn't that's really good for you uh, if your opponent's playing a ramp deck or a reanimator deck you can get all their atalis or attraxes forcing them to play a combination of the two in order to play around that effect uh, yep. so it, it, it's a really good strong kind of niche removal spell yeah i mean this is one of the best iterations of the four mana catch-all exile removal spell the, that we eradicates seen. yeah i i had a few copies in my sideboard when i was playing today mostly just because i was like this is probably good against mono green if i play against mono green then i'll bring this in it'll be part of my plan there and then i just 
found myself bringing it in against like Rakdos midrange because I was like, well, you know, if I get their shieldreds, their deck is way worse, like kind of can't kill me most of the time. Playing against Greasefang, like decks that are pretty bad against Greasefang, you bring a few copies of this in and then all of a sudden like you have a real plan which is if i don't just get punked out by like turn three grease fang on the play or whatever they have to protect that grease fang the first one that they play and if you just have the end up when they get the grease fang out and you get rid of it then they can only they're they're in a seeker's chariot seeker's chariot beatdown deck which is not a pioneer all-star yeah so that's really spooky for a deck like grease fang too and i think that will patch up some decks that have not very good matchups against Grease Fang and, and make them a lot better. It's so, also in black, which is one of the better colors in Pioneer. Just another tool for its quiver. Yeah, yeah. And I think it'll see a ton of play in Pioneer. And then, yeah, I think in Standard, it's going to change the format. Like, you're going to have to diversify your threats. You're going to have to play wedding announcements and stuff like that. Or at least it will make cards like that more tempting and you can't just be like, I'm utility stuff and disruption and my four shieldreds are how I kill you. Well, if you get your shieldreds the ended and now you have like two graveyard trespassers to kill them with, you're not going to be able to do that. Uh, my number one is the obvious number one garden block uh, that's talked about, been talked about to death, but it's still obviously the best card. <laughs> uh, Beseech the mirror. One in triple black for, you know, search your library for card, exile face down. You can bargain the card, so you can sack an artifact to or token. If you do, you can cast the exile card as long as its mana value is four or less for free. Uh, if you can't cast it, you just it just goes into your hand. Uh, that part's not talked about very much because it's not the core part of the card, but it is something to keep in mind that your fail case is just a diabolic tutor, which yeah. you know if your card is doing the the kill the win the game button that it does in Legacy, where you just play. A Vault of Whispers and then just combo kill your opponent on turn two or something. Mm -hmm. you, you don't care. But in your Pioneer or Standard games where sometimes you do not want to sacrifice one of the few permanents you have or just can't because you're not playing enough, mm -hmm. you, you, it has a buyout mode. Yeah. I mean, Diabolic Tutor, pretty that horrific. But, but this card is really strong. I'm, I'm really excited to play with it in uh, Doom Foretold right now. Yep. Uh, but it's strong in a bunch of formats. I evil enchanties could use uh, the iron crag or any number of treasure making ramp things to make the colors work and have infinite pieces of artifacts or enchantments lying around. So you can sure. actually use this. It gives you more redundancy to get, grab your doom foretolds or anything that works with it. And obviously the legacy stuff you do, you just win the game instantly when you cast it. You go your guys will. It's it's very strong. Yeah, I'm not confident that this one's going to last very long in Vintage or Legacy. but it, It's just a card that wins the game when you cast it. And right. is, um, it, it's, it may be vulnerable to all the other, like, I, I hate hating out Storm cards. There's a million of those in Legacy. And I don't think it goes in Doomsday that well, which is the better version of these. So yeah. if it's like a big problem that people are winning all the time on turns one or two, I could see it getting axed. But other than that, I don't really. Yeah, I and I don't really care that much about what happens with it in, in Legacy or Vintage. But yeah, I, I think in Pioneer, there's some pretty clear places like I, I am excited to try it in Doom Foretold, especially uh, in Modern. You know, this is Bring to Light has seen a ton of play in a lot of formats this is a kind of different version of it, slightly different requirements. 
Bring the Light had the advantage of like your five colors. So you can put whatever targets you could possibly want for this in your deck. And this one is like, you want to be very heavily black. So you may be a little more limited in what you're getting. But as long as the variety of things that you're getting covers a lot of your bases, you know, in the Doom Foretold deck, you have like a Wrath, you have Doom Foretold, you have some sort of like generic like card advantage spell or like planeswalker or whatever that pushes the game forward for you that's like a lot of good options that and, and will probably solve most game states in modern you know the only thing that kind of makes... that it's weakest in modern because i agree black is a pretty bad color in black is like pretty a, bad grief is grief and bowmaster is really holding the fort down yeah and i i think that this is some sort of like you know, I'm getting the one ring with it most of the time, but it also can get my one damnation or can get like some disruptive piece or something. I am I am just not interested in the mono black deck at all. I'm not it either. Is, it is a deck that keeps putting up a number here and there, but not in enough. Well, it's volume. played so heavily and has very limited results. I think I think it sees way more play than it should and the results it does get are results of like a, a high population level yes and i the deck just never feels strong to me like yeah i don't i just do not get it and i don't really think that finding another four drop for it is like really going to yeah do like do we need much? another four drop that is express purpose is to get other four drops and it's not free to bargain like you know we i'm excited for it like in doom foretold because hopefully you just have a lot of stuff around to bargain away in like the modern mono black deck you're gonna have to change your deck up quite a bit in order to do the, like yes you have bow masters and the orc army you can sacrifice to it like great start but then are we sacrificing like a whole talisman to it like what what is really the plan for bargaining with this thing like i don't, I don't i'm not just willing to play the mono black deck and have this card be like sacrifice my ring to cast another ring that's just not interesting to me or powerful well i mean at some point that is powerful where you have like the ring and then you have seven more copies of the ring in your deck to like keep chaining it how on earth am i playing four beseech the mirrors in this I deck mean, i don't know but <laughs> where am i finding all these four drops if if there if there is a spot where it's just like yeah the ring is the thing to be doing just have as many copies of the one ring in your deck as you possibly can like this is the way to do that it's better you know like these these like perhaps you don't have to run karn anymore you know like that was a four i i don't know but i like karn i know and you I know, like yeah, karn yeah it is a four drop but it is a four drop that you know especially if we're not doing coffers then i think that the you know karn obviously isn't a card that you play in the non-coffers version of the deck and then maybe there's something that we're doing with just like i'm gonna ring so hard you're not even gonna believe it but Look, i don't really see other modern uses for this if vault of whispers was not on the ban list i would be way more into this card but i, I just not for modern sure <laughs> you, you're gonna have to prove me wrong i i can't see it uh, have you made any strides in, in any sort of like underworld breach tutoring shenanigans in modern? No. One thing I did think about very briefly, I haven't really invested any time into it, but one of the things for modern that isn't just like the mono black deck that I actually like Beseech of the Mirror is that if you play a shell that is Amulet of Vigor and Lotus Field, uh, those cards work really well together, right? Mm -hmm. Lotus Field does provide the triple black of it for Beseech the Mirror and Amulet yeah. provides the the artifact that you can bargain away and then once you have that 
package mm -hmm. basically you can do whatever you want with the rest of your deck and with a lotus field in play there's usually a way to win somehow yeah uh, i don't know if you're explicitly twiddling if you're doing breach stuff along the way you could do the one ring I, I don't know yet i haven't invested any time into it mm -hmm. but i think if this card breaks out in modern i would want to try that best around with that first yeah too bad you can't get poor over the pages with, with this that would be kind of sick but just cast it for free <laughs> <laughs> that would be strong yeah you'd really think like for you know one one artifact slash enchantment slash token you could spot me a mana right yeah just one one lousy mana who's gonna notice <laughs> no no one <laughs> all right your your black cards sir all right i i mean i think my list is pretty similar uh my number five is ashiok wicked manipulator though yeah, i had i, I had have. this card on I, I had this card on but there were so many cards on yeah, black it just got exactly. pushed out uh, I think this is just like a very good standard card. Uh, if if we need a five mana black card that gives you value in standard, it's a really good Omdix list that does not it, it like avoids the two pitfalls of a black card advantage, a mono black card advantage. Mm -hmm. It doesn't lose you life for cards, which is yeah. really nice. It goes up to draw cards like Omdix list does, but it doesn't lose you any life, and it doesn't trigger shield because you look at the top two, exile one, and put the other in your hand. Yeah. So you're dodging all the shieldreds while you're drawing cards. Yeah, this is three black black for a five loyalty planeswalker. It has the static ability. If you would pay life while your library has at least that many cards in it, exile that many cards from the top of your library instead. I don't know anything that we pay life for in standard, really, but... Phyrexian mana off the completed planeswalkers. <laughs> sure. <laughs> None of which are playable, but sure. Hey, if you have Frasca, you can, you know, exile some cards, then proliferate for this Ashiok, mm. then use that loyalty. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but her plus one is look at the top two cards of your library, exile one of them, and put the other into your hand. Minus two is create two one one black nightmare creature tokens with at the beginning of combat on your turn. If a card was put into exile this turn, put a plus one plus one counter on this creature and it's minus seven target player exiles the top X cards of their library where X is the total mana value of cards you own in exile. So the fact that we make two tokens on minus two and also have enough loyalty to do that again next turn is really nice. It's just very, very difficult to attack this Ashiok down and whenever she's secure you plus one to basically cast sleight of hand to not just draw a card but you get the better of the two top two cards of your library and then if you have any of your tokens still around then they start getting bigger when you're plusing this thing and god forbid you like minus two this and then minus two it again and then have something to pay life for and then you start growing like all of the tokens that you just made like you know there's there's a an upside fantasy to be had for this card but i think just generally it can lock down a board pretty well and then provide good advantage going forward that you can leverage in any sort of grindy game the the nightmares only care about anything being exiled at any point so you can the turn yeah. after you play this you can just down take her down take them again then cast the end on one the of end. your creatures yeah, yeah then exactly. all your nightmares get bigger that's great uh, and i i didn't delve into what the exiled tribal cards were basically but it's a, a cute little thing to keep in mind i, I do think ashak's just a good card by its at its base yeah. value one of the better that, five mana planeswalkers we've had in a while yeah monocolored too yeah yep i mean you know only 
relevant when you need a five mana black planeswalker, which is not necessarily all that often, but black is quite good in standard. And I think in probably most black mirrors, you'll at least want to board in some number of these card this card. Yeah, it's it's good at stabilizing and adding to the board. Not as good at just killing a thing. Right. It doesn't kill a permanent, for sure. But it can dig you towards an answer to something. Mm-hmm. My number four is Hopeless Nightmare, for all the reasons we talked about. It's just really nice that it costs one mana. That, that's super good. Um, my number three is Virtue of Persistence. My number two is The End. And my number one is Beseech the Mirror. Okay, cool. Yeah, so we agreed. I, we just couldn't... You probably just didn't notice the Jumpstart card. Honestly, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I, I like Ashiok enough for standard that I'm glad we talked about both of them. So Yeah. Moving on to Red. Yeah. So red was, you know, not as deep as black. Had some fun ones in it, I guess. But yeah, so like my red was pretty shallow, unfortunately. Yeah, exactly. My number five is red cap gutter dweller, which is two red red for a three three menace. When ETBs, you create two one one black rat creature tokens with this creature can't block. And at the beginning of your upkeep, you may sacrifice another creature. If you do, put a plus one plus one counter on red cap gutter dweller and exile the top card of your library. You may play that card this turn. If there's any sort of like red white token deck, I think this is a nice bridge card that both makes tokens and helps you like keep going, like helps you turn your tokens into just more stuff. And it's it's helpful that it does both things and also just provides five power on the board for four mana and immediate like if they don't kill this thing then threatens to just make more cards and the body has menace so when it has those plus one plus one counters it hits pretty hard you know it is a four mana just creature that doesn't have haste but at least it does have an etb but i think this card is pretty good this card is actually a lot better than i thought it was i I must have misread it or overlooked it it somehow something about it looks like it's gonna be a bad card but then you realize that like oh this puts two other creatures into play when it comes into play yeah at the very least like so goblin um or beetleback chief is Mm -hmm. a four mana two two that makes two goblins yeah i like that card a lot this card is almost better in every way (laughs) (laughs) like the tokens can't block but this card's bigger it has menace it has another ability that draws cards on top of it and -hmm. it gives you the fodder you need to use that ability it's just like does a lot of stuff yeah it does it kind of just keeps on going and we do have other seeds planted for a go wide like mid-rangey red white deck whether like the regal bunicorn is something that you want or just like we're playing wedding announcement with this card like there there's a lot of things that you can do with stuff like this it makes me really wish that the there's a commander card that's like x one red white white uh when it as convoke when you it's from commander so it just like makes a bunch of tokens when it comes into play and those tokens have whenever it's tapped they deal a damage so it's a really strong finisher. Sure. Deck I wish a card I wish was in standard. Yeah, but it's nice that you could get like seeds planted for even the standard red white stuff and have it work for you. Stoke the flames is in standard too. Like Stoke the flames is in standard. Wedding announcement cast. is still a good card in standard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So definitely something about this just it looks like a bad card and then you read the text and you're like why did i think this was bad this is this card's pretty good 
Yeah, I, this sh- probably should have been on my list. I just I couldn't perceive it, I guess. <laughs> I, there, there's something weird about it that makes your eyes slide off of it. Um, my number four is Torch the Tower. This is red for an instant with bargain. It deals two damage to target creature or planeswalker. If the spell was bargained, it deals three damage to that permanent and you scry one. If a permanent dealt damage by Torch the Tower would die this turn, exile it instead. It's just strictly better Flame Blessed Bolt, which saw some amount of play. If you want to exile Tenacious Underdogs and Mosswood Dread Knights and stuff like that, this is like the best one red mana spell for doing that with. And when you do bargain it, if you have stuff to bargain away, dealing three damage to hit a thing is going to, you're going to be at a mana advantage every time that you do that. And getting that scry is a nice bonus. Yeah, I think your primary mode of this is the two damage mm-hmm. with the nice buyout, especially if you have like a random token lying around, which I think is the really only thing you're going to be sacrificing to torch the tower. If you have a random token lying around, you can just like kick it up for an extra damage. And that's pretty yeah. nice flexibility. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, like Voltage Surge was for a certain amount of time, just like the best removal spell in standard. And this is... It's still a, it's still a good one. Yeah. Especially like any Oni Cult Anvil sort of deck, like this could be something that you want in there. Yeah. I'm, I'm in for this. Just random utility card. Yeah. It's also just at its base, Flame Bless Bolt, which saw play. So... Yeah. Really easy call. Yeah. <laughs> My number three is Charming Scoundrel, which okay. is, uh, you know, Wily Goblin back back for more. A card that Wily Goblin plus plus. I was kind of into, even though it really was never good. Well, it wasn't good also because primarily because it cost red red. Right. And this does not cost red red. And that's really nice. Uh, one in a red for a 1-1 one, one haste. When ETBs choose one, discard a card, then draw a card, create a treasure token, or create a wicked roll token attached to target creature you control, which is the plus one plus one aura that when it dies, uh, they take a damage. Like worst case, this is just like a two mana two two haste that deals a damage to them when it dies, as long as they don't like kill it in response to the ETB. Uh, but in more mid rangey sort of red decks, I Can think I, that well, let me pause you right there. Just as a note, mm-hmm. uh, you attach the roll token to a. Oh, I guess you have to target the creature control. Some of the ones you don't have to target and you can just like move oh, them wherever. Like yeah. the black one that, that enters the battlefield, you that curses a creature you control, does not target. So you can just like put it anywhere. Mm. This one uh, does this, though. Yeah, this one does target. I for some reason thought it would work the same way in the same set. Yeah, so they can respond to this and then you don't get the one damage out of it. But it is cheap enough to make that pretty hard, especially in the early game at least. Yeah. So yeah, at, at its base, it's like a two mana two two haste with a little bit of extra value, but it also can create a token or create a treasure if you're trying to like cast a four mana spell on turn three or trying to fix your mana for whatever reason, or it can discard a card and put your like reanimation target in the graveyard, it can put your Atraxa in the graveyard or can create a treasure token to help you cast your Atraxa. There's just like enough uses for this thing that like at its base, it's going to see play in aggressive red decks because it's a good two mana two two haste. And then it also contributes like if you board in a way that makes your deck more mid rangey, it's flexible and can do stuff there. Uh, it also is two permanents for Godric, which mm-hmm. is higher up on my list. And I think that is a significant that that's a big deal. It makes it much easier to trigger celebration when you have a couple cards like this in your deck. 
no, I, I love this card. It's it's very high on my list. Uh, and a large portion of that is I just remember Prosperous Innkeeper being also half of this card, essentially. Yeah. Uh, which is just one in a green, make a treasure token, have some soul warden text. Mm-hmm. Uh, this card does a lot of the important stuff of Prosperous Innkeeper already. You get the two permanents in a different color, mm-hmm. uh, which is plus or minus, like good for some, good for some decks, worse for others. Yeah. I, I really like this card. I do too. I'm also really high on just tough cookie esque cards that is two permanents in one card. Sure. I and this is not even. Like that's just good because of the way magic is and getting multiple pieces of cardboard to do stuff with lets you be flexible and do more things over the course of the game. But in particular, because of my next card on the list, Godric Cloak Reveler has the celebration mechanic like making two permanents is just legitimately good synergy with other cards. So Godric is one red red for three three haste and has celebration as long as two or more non-land permanents enter the battlefield under your control this turn. Godric Cloaked Reveler is a dragon with base power and toughness 4-4, flying and one red mana. Dragons you control get plus one plus O until end of turn. I think that there just is a mono red aggro deck in standard now, heavily based on the existence of this card. It's synergy with Kumano Faces Kakazan. It's synergy with Charming Scoundrel. And like you have decent one drops in Kumano Faces Kakazan and Monastery Swiss Spear. You have some burn spells. Lightning Strike is legal. Stoke the Flames is legal. Uh, you have good haste guys in the bloodthirsty adversary and the charming scoundrel. And just, I think that it's pretty easy to build a good version of the mono red deck in standard now. Uh, no, I think this, this card is very strong. Yeah. Also, it's, I was skeptical last time because with fable gone, Kamado faces Kakazan was like the, the best and kind of only card that really enabled celebration consistently mm-hmm. uh, but now with charming scoundrel it's really easy yeah i i think that you'll just get it often enough between those cards that do it kind of on their own and then just you know sandbagging a one drop or whatever in order to make this happen there's also song of totentons which is the card you referenced earlier mm-hmm. uh, that makes a ton of rats it's just yeah. like a fireball for rats yeah, uh, that is a card you can play. It gives all the rats haste the turn you play it. Mm-hmm. So that is a card you are allowed to play if you are serious about turning on celebration. Yeah, and and one thing that I really like about this card is that uh, obviously the mono red deck struggles because of the existence of Shieldred the Apocalypse. This is one of the few threats that you can have in play, and your opponent looks at their Shieldred in their hand and they're like, "I don't think I can just play the Shieldred this turn. I think I need to like spend my turn killing that thing." Because if they just play Shieldred past the turn, like you lose two life and then you trigger this thing and then pay two man, like hit them for six in the air or whatever, like that might kill them, you know, attack with your two other creatures. They can block one of them and they just take like six or eight damage or something and they just die. There's there's also the the chance that red decks still want to play a furnace reigns, Mm -hmm. in which case it's super, super dangerous. Really get them. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> like furnace rains into one drop oh my god we're dead yeah and if if the mid-range decks are fighting mid-range battles and they're all concerned with like shieldred and they're running a bunch of the ends and stuff and you can just be like i'm gonna play 12 one drops and these godricks and these like this rat expel or whatever then that might be a good place to be mm-hmm. yeah 
What is this? Is that, that was your number two, right? What's your that was my one? number two. My number one is Hearth Elemental, just because the upside, the potential ceiling for this thing is is so high. Um, I mean, I think like Godric is just very obviously super good in standard, and Hearth Elemental just potentially has a place in very powerful formats. Uh, one, this is five and a red for a four five that costs X less to cast, where X is the number of cards in your graveyard that are instant sorceries or have an adventure. Its adventure is Stoke Genius, one in a red, discard your hand, then draw two cards. This just, I don't know if it goes in Dredge. I don't know if it goes in like a Mono Red Phoenix deck somewhere. I like it definitely is tempting to figure out a way to combine this with Vengevine, where you can like discard your whole hand and then this creature is sitting there to help you double creature spell to trigger your Vengevines at some point. Um, the rare Vengevine spell deck yeah i mean since you <laughs> exile your creeping chills they're not there to count for you so maybe that doesn't really happen because you can't run faithless looting in modern i mean maybe you've got burning inquiries and goblin lores and stuff i don't know exactly you, you simply you simply choose not to exile your creeping chills so you don't get the damage mm-hmm. that way you you get the brilliant vengeance. yeah <laughs> yeah so i mean that is tough and maybe there isn't a way to make it work with vengevine but the potential ceiling for this card as like a cheap threat in a spell heavy graveyard based deck that like helps you tear through your deck a little bit and is a really good top deck when you're like empty handed, you know, drawbacks are like, it doesn't go very well with the delve spells like treasure cruise. Uh, it, it, it needs you to be dumping your hand. So it feels more like a mono red sort of prowess or a Phoenix card than like an, is it card, but there's, I don't know. Just like the things that this card can do and the the very low cost, definitely it's the type of card that can be very good in high powered formats. Yeah, I I believe it. I did not this did not make my list. Uh it could have. My my number five was just like a gimme. Yeah, I don't have a I don't have a list for this card. I don't have a deck for this card. Yeah. I just have I, hopes for it. I think it's just like a little too only the sorcery portion is where I stuck mm-hmm. on it like i think it's really hard to utilize the creature in the decks you would want to play the sorcery yeah give that's it kind like of haste or flying point. on the creature body and then it's like ooh baby but it's just i mean even just five. casting the creature could be tricky mm. like and the decks we, we've just been going through right <laughs> sure yeah yeah i mean like trying to have five instant sorceries or adventures to make this a one mana spell is a lot so my number five was very similar i had almost all the same cards my number five was torch the tower because i knew it would see play it was kind yeah. of a freebie yep uh, my number four was actually virtue of courage a card i'm a little lower on mm-hmm. uh, now that i'm thinking it through more uh, but this is virtue of courage is a five mana enchantment whenever a source you control deals non-combat damage to an opponent you can exile many targets from the top of your library and play those until end of turn uh, as an instant adventure for two mana to deal two damage to any target so i liked this prior to more of the godric cards being spoiled because it was a way to utilize your more burn-heavy red decks Mm -hmm. to get an advantage off the enchantment side, where you'd actually just end the game. But I think now I'm more, especially with the the Charming Prince stuff we discussed, I'm more off of Emberth Blaze as a card you can reasonably play in this format, which is the two-mana, two-damage thing, which means you don't really get the enchantment. And I'd way rather just be playing creatures and songs and just killing my opponent in combat like really fast and yeah, not worrying I agree. about all this enchantment stuff. Yeah. I want to be like making Kumano faces Kagazan just like 
destroy them is is how I want to build these decks rather than play this much longer inevitability game. Yeah, so my number three is a different card. It's Song of Totentants. That's the X and a red sorcery. Create X-1-1 one, one rats with, you know, they can't block, and creatures you control can't haste until on turn. I think this is a, a fine card and possibly a necessary evil if you want to play Godric. I'm hoping there's some sort of payoff for like a go, like a bolt hound or something like whenever it attacks your creatures get plus one till end of turn mm-hmm. uh, i don't know if standard has that but anything that makes godric better is worth taking a look at and i don't think this card is bad by any means what is that isn't isn't there an enchantment that we loved to build terrible decks around like one in a red whenever you attack with a creature with power one or less it deals one to them cavalcade of calamity yeah, so anyways, people were like pretty obsessed with making that thing work. Uh, that This isn't a pioneer power level thing, so, you know, it's not going to work unless we get like a reprint of Cavalcade of Calamity. Um, but there are other glorious anthem type effects. So Song of Totentance with like a flipped wedding announcement is a million damage. Uh, Song of Totentance with a, a white virtue in play. Oh, I can't really attack with these rats this turn. I guess I'll just wait until next to my end step and they should probably kill you pretty soon. And also you can make a bunch of rats like you, you, your opponent blocks two of the rats. And you get him for three. That's mm-hmm. a, a bad rate spell, but you still have the creatures. Yeah, I, I think that this is pretty pushed as far as these like token making sort of things go. Yeah, if this card didn't give haste, it'd be so much worse. But the fact oh, that it does yeah. is very nice. Un- uninterested, but it, it does give them haste. The best creature yeah. ability. The best creature, really. It also uh, gives creatures you control haste until end of turn. So if you had something that is a little more like has evasion or something, like you can also cast that on the same turn. But you mostly want to pump all your mana into the song. See, that mode was way more interesting before Fable of the Mirror Breaker was banned. <laughs> because giving the reflection. Yeah. <laughs> like giving the reflection haste would have actually been a huge deal. Yeah. You just one less rat, one more activation of of your reflection good god yeah but that they didn't let us have but that, so. it, it does give haste to any non kumano faces kakazan saga that flipped that turn so if you are a red white deck for some reason that has like restoration of a ganjo in it and you have flipped <laughs> your restoration you give it haste and like that's just free there yeah that i don't think it'll come up too often probably not but it does give all creatures haste if that matters yeah that's oh my number one is Godric, but that's yeah all my red cards. I think that Godric's card's really strong. good. Cool, cool. Green cards. Green cards. There were a lot of green cards I liked as well. Yeah, this is a decent number. My number five is Blossoming Tortoise. This is a, a cute little card. It's a four mana three three turtle. Whenever it enters the battlefield or attacks, you mill three cards, then return a land card from your graveyard to the battlefield tapped. Uh, activated abilities land you control cost one less to activate and land creatures you control get plus one plus one so there's some cool things with this card that i like one you can just play it in mono green if you want to it makes your nykthos is cheaper which is relevant in that you're often activating nykthos way more than once a turn so this card is giving you a lot of mana it, it effectively has it, it contributes three green mana symbols to your nykthos but it is slightly better because it like gives you that on the front end when you're like activating the Nykthos. So it's, it's like a little bit better than giving you three devotion. 
It also can give you a Nykthos itself. Yes. Because... Uh, obviously, anytime <laughs> it gives you a Nykthos, that's really good. Yeah. Uh, there's also a couple of cute little combos you can do with it because of the the lands cost one less to activate mode. And I'm not saying any of these are playable. I'm just right. going to list them out. So in modern, if you have Lava Claw Reaches and you activate it to make it a 3-3, because land creatures should control like plus one plus one, mm. uh, <laughs> you can pay uh, one to give it plus one plus zero until end of turn, uh, which costs one less. So that's zero to give plus one plus zero. And you can do that like infinite times and you kill your opponent if they can't block it. Uh, that's not interesting because modern is way too strong. But in standard, mm. not, not pioneer, but standard, you can actually achieve the same end with draconic destiny yes <laughs> which is a an aura you can put on a creature that gives it plus one plus one flying haste and uh one to get plus one plus zero until end of turn so with the turtle in play your land creature would get the same lava car reaches effect but also flying so it's almost certainly going to kill your opponent the only trick is finding a creature land to put it on uh there's no red green creature land so if you just want to be straight red green you have to play either uh, Mishra's Foundry, is that the name of the card? Mm-hmm. That's the assembly worker. Yeah. Or there's also a card that there's a a lay of the land that turns a creature into a land. I don't remember what it is, but I know it's standard legal. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's that's a the bargain one, right? Yes, I think so. It, I it's should, like a lay of the land, and if you bargain it turns a creature into a or it turns a land a three, into three. a three three. Yeah, Brave the Wilds. Yeah, so with those two, like you have a the ability to have a land creature, then you put your enchantment on it with your turtle in play, and then you win the game, right? It's a lot to ask for, but this is also standard, and I thought it was cool. Well, <laughs> I mean, and if you can make most of those cards pretty good in your deck, obviously Draconic Destiny is a tough one to make just generically good in your deck, but if you... The turtle top, is really good with Mishra's yeah, Foundry. It, yeah, yeah, turtle is good with Mishra's Foundry, Draconic Destiny, if you slap that on a turtle, then you're getting, you know, you're getting lots of triggers off of that t- turtle. It's, it keeps getting through. <laughs> That's actually true, yeah. <laughs> Finds you more lands, get more. The cool thing about Mistress Foundry is that it makes the pump ability really cheap. Yeah. It's just free. So you can activate one of your foundries to make it a 2-2 for one mana, just like Mistress, uh Factory, and then attack with it. And then if you have another one, it's a 4-4 in secret. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. I this is again, this is number five. I don't think this is very strong, but it is super cool. Yeah, I mean, Blossoming Turtle with a bunch of Mishra's Foundries in your deck is like kind of compelling or a bunch of Mishra's Foundries in your deck because it's the best non meme application I've seen for it Mm -hmm. other than just straight up mono green devotion. Yeah, which is, I think, remarkable because everyone just talks about lava cut reaches. Yeah, which is not a thing. Like it's never gonna be. Playable. You can't put lava claw reaches in your deck in modern. That's just not gonna be good. You could argue you could never do that. I don't think. You, yeah, I agree that you could never do that. All right, my number four is thunderous debut, and this could be an overcorrection, but I missed remarkably on breach of the multiverse, and this is a similar go big type card. So what this is is eight mana, six double green. Sorcery, look at the top 20 cards of your library. You can reveal up to two creature cards from among them if it was bargained, because the spell has bargained. Uh, put the revealed creatures onto the battlefield. Otherwise, put the cards into your hand and then shuffle. 
So this is another big end game card in lieu of Breach the Multiverse, Indomitable Creativity, whatever you want to have your end game be. This one is expensive at eight mana, significantly more than, than seven, but it is in green, which is a nice little uh, cap because th that's the color where you get extra mana. It's also in the same color as Invasion of Zendikar and all that stuff. Invasion yeah. of Zendikar is the ramp one, right? Yeah. And you still have Tertiary Stomper, which to is to nice. Topiary Stomper? Topiary Stomper, sorry. Hmm. Yeah, this does seem worse than breach the multiverse in every way we're like yeah breaches a mana less you don't need to bargain it and it also gets anything from either graveyard so as long as the game has gone on for a while which was kind of the point of that card like you'd get a good thing from both players and it could also get planeswalkers so you could put a chandra or whatever into play um i think this like legitimately like kind you have to build your deck in a way that sucks in order to make it good and you didn't have to do that for a card like breach which I, yeah i also missed for constructed applications too for sure but this doesn't feel like it does the things that that a card like breach does yeah i think you're right uh i my number my, my from here on out we're just in a neat card territory sure so three is and and i think these could be any number of cards. There were like several cards in green I really liked, uh, but they did not all make the list. Number three for me is Elvish Archivist. That's the name of the card. One in a green for an 01 Elf Artificer. Whenever one of our artifacts enters the battlefield, it gets two plus plus one counters. That only triggers once a turn. And whenever one of our enchantments enters the battlefield under your control, you draw a card. That only happens once per turn. I just enjoy this card a lot. It can get... Uh, but... I think it's bad unless you can activate both modes, which means I'm really looking at this card under a lens of, like, I don't want this to be a bad enchantress. And I don't want this to be like a Tarmogoyf. I think both of those things are not very good. Like mm -hmm. if you're only doing as an artifact deck or an enchantment deck. So, because right. if, if it's just being this... a Tarmogoyf in an artifact deck, we have like three cards that are better at doing that than this thing. Yeah, exactly. But if it's doing both, it's like pretty interesting. Yeah. Uh, I think in modern, this card is really good with Urza Saga, and you can try it with Hardened Scales as well. That's like a, a good marriage because that deck plays a lot of artifacts and mm -hmm. a lot of enchantments. Uh, and then you're just playing like a Tarmogoyf that draws cards, which is really strong. In formats not as powerful as modern, I want to be playing this with enchantments that make treasure tokens. Because okay. And Fable of the Mirror Breaker is, of course, the premier card to do that. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> there's also a couple in standard um there's one in this set it's like corvold's something or other yeah it makes it's a like treasure a, for chapter one and two and then the third chapter is like you impulse you the take their three cards, cards of, yeah you take three other cards yeah uh i i just like this card because the hybrid nature of it being a big creature and a card advantage engine is very interesting and it's not something we have very often the last time i remember this card being like similar is tireless tracker which was quite a long time ago at this point mm -hmm. uh, and you did not have to do any work for tireless tracker obviously right. that card's much better <laughs> but if you can actually make this card work i think it is worth being aware of and i think it will most often will not work which is disappointing but understandable because i think it was all it was always on all the time it would be 
Yeah. Really good. Are there any artifacts that make enchantment? Because we do have enchantment tokens now with the rolls. Are there any artifacts that make a roll token that you could get both of these abilities off of? There are no artifacts that make an enchantment. Ah, well, that's too bad. There is an artifact in this set that's like uh, a bad uh, maze mind tome. It's like two for loot, and then you make a treasure token. Oh, yeah, I am aware of that card. I'm like kind of into it a little bit. <laughs> I don't so, I'm not I'm not going to buy into the this is better than Reckoner Bankbuster thing, but uh, I do think that the card has some potential. So that is a way to kind of make your arch archivist really big because it's an artifact. You can make artifacts on your opponent's turn, so it gets even bigger. Yeah, uh, I hate that card personally. Sure. I'm not interested in it. <laughs> so. I, I don't want this card to be just a Tarmogoyf also. Mm-hmm. But, you know, interested in more hybrid builds where you can actually make both halves work. Yep. Sure. My number two is another one of those enchantments makes an artifact. <laughs> Knight of Sweet's Revenge. <laughs> this is three and a green for an enchantment. And this is in, in the ongoing saga of me loving modern application food cards. <laughs> yeah. Uh, when it enters the battlefield, you make a food token. All your foods have a mana ability of Lana Elves. They just tap for green mana now. Uh, and you can pay seven mana and sack it to give all creatures you control plus X plus X, where X is the number of foods you control. So I specifically like this with Academy Manufactor. I will correct myself from last week. Uh, I said that, you know, this is in play. It makes a food. If you have Manufactor, it makes all three, and you can sack, like, the treasure and tap a thing for mana to tap the clue is even better than i thought i just forgot you could tap the clue for mana or no you can't tap the clue no it's not urza it's only it's not urza it's only foods but but still man this was so much better when it was urza's but i I still like this just (laughs) because it it gives you a huge burst of mana in those like academy manufacturer chatterfang decks Mm -hmm. and this i've described two different modern food decks to us in this episode like the glimpse of tomorrow one is a different deck than the night of sweet's revenge i don't think it goes in that deck Mm -hmm. it's a different weirder food deck (laughs) but it has a lot of aspects that urza doesn't whereas the the permits it gives you are essentially uninteractable like your opponent's not gonna force a figure your enchantment and your food token (laughs) that's not gonna happen right yeah. And it provides a ton of value with Manufactor, which is the only card I see this being played with. Yeah, I mean, I, I do like how this thing is sort of like uncapped, basically. The more foods you have, the more mana this is giving you. And then it does give you a sink for that mana. If you have a bunch of foods and then you give like four creatures plus six plus six or, or more until end of turn, then you kill them with it. And that's kind of a nice bonus. Obviously not the main part of the card. But the fact that it creates the food when it comes into play, I think, makes it a lot easier to hit that threshold of like, yes, this was worth casting. I'm glad I cast this four mana spell, even in modern. So I, I am like pretty into this card, too, especially since it lets you cast uh, Court of Calling, which is mm-hmm. a hard card to cast in those food decks because you're not playing. And Tough Cookie does a lot for that as well. Uh, being a green creature that makes a food. Mm hmm. I don't know if I, I haven't really found a spot for Tough Cookie while I'm building these decks. Tough Cookie is also a food, so when you cast out. Knight of Sweets Revenge, like Tough Cookie makes yeah. a green mana. Not helpful for convoking because it's no, not all it roots. Could have done it anyways, but yeah, it's good stuff. Yeah, this card's solid. Oh, I think only for modern 
very narrowly. And speaking of modern, my number one is up the beanstalk. I mean, this does on its own double trigger your Elvish Archivist. So yeah, yeah it does. I, I don't know if I'd do that. I mean, honestly, the food deck does have Urza Sagas and artifacts in it. It's just that, like, I don't think Elvish Archivist you, that the deck is a very oh prank. yeah. I'm saying like maybe there is a a non modern deck that wants this if it's doing stuff with like Elvish Archivist and some you know it oh, like there may be a food deck that's not as that that is more value based and not not this like comboy thing or something that's just not in modern. Like maybe there is a standard deck or a pioneer deck that is food heavy. Yeah, maybe. Uh, my number one is a card I personally do not like, but I do believe in. It's up the beanstalk. Uh, uh, up, up my beanstalk? No, no. We're, it's too late to do this kind of joking. So we've got to get through this. <laughs> <laughs> this is up the beanstalk. One in a green enchantment. When it enters the battlefield and whenever you cast a creature, uh, a spell with mana value five or greater, draw a card. Yep. Uh, people have been talking about this one especially in modern as a way to abuse surprise the free elementals solitude and fury because mm -hmm. <laughs> those are technically five mana spells that people do occasionally cast for five mana yep uh, but i've seen a lot of people trying to replace the draw engine in four color control in modern with this card and as a one like when it's on the battlefield it is not that impressive to me but then you play a second one and it's really good. <laughs> like yeah. that's actually where I think it's strong. Well, I think it's like completely fine when you cast the first one, you draw the card and then all of your solitudes and furies refund you a card. You and also then... have like very little to do on turn two. Yep. So it does not bother me to just take a turn off and play up the beanstalk. Yeah. I mean, I put together like a sketch of a deck that I was going to try to play today. If magic online were available, that was kind of four color Omnath keep all four rings in there, play four up the beanstalks. We cut the delighted halflings and like, this was like, uh, inspired by, uh, Nick Chirillo talking about it. And I kind of like sketch it up and put it together. And you just like play as many of the, like four fury, four solitudes, play a couple of ephemerates because you've got four furies and four solitudes in there, play all your leyline bindings. And then you just have like rings and up the beanstalks as just like these massive card advantage engines and let you just keep tearing through your deck and casting free spells, casting leyline bindings, and then just like you bury your opponent. I mean, yeah, but I forgot about leyline binding as the other cheat card. Yeah. You, you'll have quite a big density of them without the beanstalk. And it's so ridiculous in multiples. That's that's actually kind of what sold me on it. Mm -hmm. Because before, I like just considering it as you know, you play your one up the beanstalk and it makes all your other copies better. Didn't do it for me. But then I saw I thought about two in play. I'm like, all right, now we're doing it. And it's so easy to get the second one after you've landed yep. the first one. And yeah, you will hit the second one eventually. And then as soon as you cast your first five mana spell after, which is easy because the second one also drew your card. Like you're gonna get there. Yeah. So I just wish these four color games ended the game faster, like literally killed their opponents. Yeah. Yeah. That That is the thing that holds me back from ever playing this deck because I do actually own all the cards for it, <laughs> but I never consider playing it because they just don't win. I just want the game to be over. <laughs> uh, it will not be over. It never ends. We only kill our opponent's stuff. We never actually do anything. That's just the way it is. 
I will simply end the game with my library at 10 and my opponent's my opponent's morale at zero. Yes, that's how you win is uh, just a moral victory. <laughs> morale victory, which I guess is different from a moral victory. Um, it's also, you know, got some potential places with like enigmatic incarnation. I think it's also just good in legacy. You cast this on turn two and then you have force of will in your hand. You're like way 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 ahead and it's already had I, i've already seen some people succeeding with it in legacy tournaments yeah i think this card is really good and you're gonna see it in a lot of stuff and it's just here to stay the the generosity like this card feels like it costs one mana less than a card like this usually costs and it also gives you a card up front like one more card than this kind of card usually gives you so it's pushed really hard and the requirement is specifically one that we meet all the time in modern and legacy and even in pioneer to a lesser extent <laughs> up the beanstalk pitch to force of will draw a card there we go let's do it <laughs> that's really good though because you're it is. I mean, you're also running solitudes and stuff in some number like you probably are also running leyline bindings like that's just a deck that's really good you can even play yorion too yeah you can yorion draw a card on cast draw a card, draw a card from on in the thing yeah. very good maybe you could make being some beanstalk deck and pioneer with yorian as well god can we just get rid of yorian i'm so tired of that card there's definitely a yorian beanstalk deck and pioneer and like enigmatic incarnation is kind of the obvious home but something with leyline binding yorian that deck's actually pretty stuff. bad at triggering up the beanstalk though i mean but you just incidentally have leyline bindings and several five mana creatures that you end up casting playing and you sure. have your okay. yorion so it's just like stuff is there you needed some number of two mana enchantments in your deck just to make the thing work and i i think that it, it is fine there what you got with your green cards all right so for my green cards my number five is also blossoming tortoise for all the reasons we talked about cool potential with nick those although i don't know if you want to trade in like your pelucano slots for blossoming tortoises uh bobby will figure it out yeah, Bobby will tell us, and also it does seem like it has some potential in standard. I I'm not, like, it is a 4-mana 3-3, three, three, though, so th there's only so much. <laughs> um, my number 4 is Bramble Familiar. 2-mana two 2-2, two, two, taps for a green. You can pay 1 green, tap it, and discard a card to return it to its owner's hand, and its adventure is five or is a seven mana sorcery mill seven cards and put a creature enchantment or land card from among the mill cards onto the battlefield i don't foresee this being great but potent in standard if you do need a mana guy it is a mana guy that then has some other relevant text late i do think it's hurt pretty badly by only making green mana and yeah. if it made mana of any color i would be much more interested in it and i don't I don't love casting creatures like this in a format where like you're heavily incentivized to play cut down and probably the new flame bless bolt and just like the amount of times this is going to die to your opponent's one mana instant speed removal spell is scary and kind of bad but ramp creature that is not just a grizzly bear when you draw it later in the game is a compelling set of things that could be good yeah this was on my list of, of green cards I wanted to talk about so I'm glad you had it uh, I just like this card. I also think it's super funny that they give you like the buyout from the the back half of this card. Like mm -hmm. if you don't mill a creature or an enchantment, you can just get a land. You can at least well, get a land. Like, uh, sorry, you missed. Here's your here's your forest. Like, <laughs> yeah. Thanks, wizards. That's Great. what I wanted. Awesome. 
<laughs> I mean, it makes it easier to keep like casting this and then returning it and casting the like it's nine mana to return this and then cast the adventure. So I guess it helps. Yeah, very little bit, I guess. No, I, I like this card. It's just good early, good late. Like it, yep. your opponent does feel pressured to kill it. And later in the game, when it's not a good creature, you can get the buyout of a random card from the top seven of your deck. Yeah. Yeah, it's probably fine. I think it's I think it's more of a bridge to decks that already want the mana more so mm -hmm. than it's like a centerpiece of its own deck. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I agree. But it is kind of nice as just a way to get to four mana a turn early more than anything else. Like, I don't know if there's a deck that just wants to cast turn three shield or it a lot, but th there's a decent number of cards that are better on turn three than four. And this is a nice, relatively low cost way to to put that possibility into your deck. My next one is Knight of the Sweet's Revenge. Just love the upside on this card. And then I've got just for standard purposes, I like Sentinel of Lost Lore a lot. It might see no play, but it also might be really important. This is one and two green for a three, four. When it ETBs, choose one or more. Return target card you own in exile that has an adventure to your hand. Put target card you don't own in exile that has an adventure on the bottom of its owner's library and exile target player's graveyard. It's good with adventures, good against adventures, good against graveyard stuff is a reasonable stat line at 3-4 for 3 mana, although no no reach or flash or any of the abilities that you know we're so used to, to seeing on a 1GG 3-4. I don't know. Just for standard, I think that this could do some work that matters. Or it might just not be good enough and is just too like donkey as a, a three mana guy that maybe has no effect on the game i don't know yeah that's i'm i'm in the latter half of the yeah. camps on this card i i just don't think it really does anything sure like green would have to be a lot stronger of a color and standard for me to go in for it you know yeah and i don't think this set boosts it enough for the adventure playstyle to like warrant this card no yeah and i mean green has really been on the ropes for a while in standard and i'm not sure what the green deck is supposed to look like yet still and i definitely am not like oh yeah we're we've got a mid-range adventure deck that wants some utility guys in it that does stuff like that like that's not a place that i'm at all confident that we're going yeah and then my number one is up the beanstalk this card's incredible it's like probably the best card in this set, i think Ooh, i don't think that but listen i love the soul cauldron but like oh, i don't i don't even have the soul cauldron on my list at all oh okay I don't know what, what you think the best card in the set is then, but I, I, to I, me, it seems like pretty, pretty I clearly. Besieged, I think it's Besiege the Mirror. Okay. Yeah. All right. But these two cards are both incredible. Yes. All right. We've got to compress the, the, the multicolored artifact pile into five. Yeah. We've been podcasting forever. That That's fine. All right. So my, my multicolored ones, uh, my number five is a pretty speculative one, but it's just a card that I like a lot. This is Likeness Looter. This is blue-black for a 1-1 flying, tap, draw a card, then discard a card, and X, likeness looter, becomes a copy of target creature card in your graveyard with mana value X, except it has flying and this ability. Activate only as a sorcery. I get that Lazav in the Kethis deck having the legendary typing was, like, important to it, but, like, this card is so much better than Lazav other than the legendary typing. I just, like, the... the total package of like being a looter being able to copy a thing in a graveyard for decks that are doing some weird creature combo-y thing and this can be any part of your creature combo and kind of help dig you to it 
I get that it's a two mana one one and it dies to every one mana or like zero mana removal spell ever. I it it is probably not a card that you can ever actually cast, but I do like it. So that's that's all. So this this card is neat. I see the comparisons to Lazav. It is significantly worse than Lazav, even outside the legendary typing, because it cannot be activated instant speed. Lazav can. Oh, that's true. That is too bad. And that that is a bummer that you can activate only as a sorcery. That doesn't seem like a necessary thing for them to have put on this card. I mean, Lazav did not break standards, so I don't know why they like were hesitant yeah. here, but they did. They were. Yeah. Being a looter is really cool, though. Oh, it is really good. Yeah. The it, it's just hard for me to like imagine a place where we were. I know we're we're in a looter deck and we're not playing Rona instead. Yeah. Like Rona's also really strong with its own really good upside. Uh, and you have to really be doing something crazy with the second ability for it to be relevant. Like the whole thing was off was playable was because I, I only really ever saw it copy two things that were like, wow, this is really strong. And that was Kethis mm-hmm. and Uro. <laughs> yes. Copying the Uro was really funny. That's true. <laughs> uh, and this card, like you, what are you, what are you copying? Like what in standard is worth that sort of investment? Are you just going to discard a shieldred? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Wait until gonna, your shieldred dies for this card to be useful. Going to play this in Pioneer and copy a, a Kroxa with it. Yeah, and your Grixis deck. Yeah, yeah, this is the card that makes Grixis good. That'll do it. Yeah, I mean, I'm not a believer. I just like that's a lot of text on a on a card. Yeah, it, it's neat. I like this card. I think it's super good for cube. I think I'm like really yeah. happy because in this set and in the commander set, there are actually so few cards you actually want to put in a generic random cube, uh, and likeness looter is one of them. Yeah, this is a great cube card, and and getting it in blue black like multicolor is not like there's there's not a lot of like multicolor blue black cards that you're like super delighted to have in your cube and i think this is a a better use of that slot than a a lot of the available cards yeah i have master of death and the kaijube that Mm -hmm. is easily going to become a likeness leader yeah makes sense my number four is and i'm i'm the rest of the ones on my multicolor list are creatures with an adventure that is a different color from the creature because i'm counting those as multicolor cards because you kind of need to be able to make both in order to make them good so this is decadent dragon two red red for a four four flample whenever it attacks create a treasure token and its adventure is expensive taste two and a black for an instant exile the top two cards of target opponent's library face down you may look at and play those cards for as long as they remain exiled you cannot pay mana of any color for those cards so you do need to like hit the lands or make treasures with other stuff because i'm not willing to rely on this thing to make the treasures to cast the stolen cards so you know what's weird about this card's design to me Mm. Uh, something i realized today was i was looking over the set so usually for gold cards there's like a reason for them to be gold yeah this one there isn't there's literally a card in the set that's in mono red corvold and the noble thief yeah that is just straight up exile the top three cards of target opponent's library you can play those cards this turn yeah uh i mean this one isn't an impulse effect it like keeps their cards around for forever which is which yeah more which black. is way better yeah and and it's not really a red effect so i i, I don't know this feels like it, an okay and i mean so the reason that I think this card is fine is in a black red mid range deck, particularly in mirrors. This card is going to be quite good, 
but it's a nice way of like helping you hit the land drops like it helps you hit your fourth land drop because you're you're the best cards to hit with expensive taste are lands you really would ideally you'll hit like two lands every time with it uh, especially if your opponent's playing like castle lockthwing and you don't have to yes <laughs> i mean i don't know how much pioneer we're playing this card in and i'm definitely visualizing it as kind of a clunky uh standard card advantage thing but like this is basically like two and a black draw three cards if you can convert their cards and one of the cards is a four mana four four dragon that gives you an advantage the longer it's in play and that is really good in the matchups where that works out and especially in like Arakdos or grixis mirror then this card is probably going to be pretty important and especially in an era of the end where we need to diversify our threats a little bit getting an additional even if you're only running like two copies of this card here's another card that can deal lethal damage to your opponent and doesn't get exiled from your deck when your opponent the ends your shieldreds mm -hmm. no i i like this card this card's good yeah i don't think it's insane like people have definitely it's just solid yeah I think it's, it's just, just fine solid. yeah my number three is elusive otter this is the one blue one one prowess that can't be blocked by creatures with less power than it and as a sorcery of groves bounty x and a green for a sorcery distribute distribute x plus one plus one counters among any number of target creatures you control the colors are weird but this is a prowess creature with a spell on it and that will find stuff to do it's also really nice with the existing blue red prowess deck plays mutagenic growth right now mm -hmm. uh, and having this card Abs evasion is actually pretty important because random chump blockers can yeah. give you a bunch of life against prowess and like in the prowess decks especially a modern prowess deck that can just like have one stomping ground in it for very low cost like one of the things that sucks with prowess is when you get flooded and the fact that this can turn your like shoot i have four or five lands in play draw into okay well i'll just make three or four plus one plus one counters out of it and get a pro like that's really nice that's like half the reason these prowess decks play underwood breach in the first place is like you actually have a card that's really good when you have five lands in play yeah instead yep. of just like another three damage card yeah. all of a sudden you just go crazy with underworld breach and this one is just kind of free to include like you put it in your one of your one mana threat slots although and those th slots are taken by good cards right now you know, Swiss Spear, obviously the best of them, but Dragon's Rage Channeler, really, really strong. Soulscar Mage, not the greatest creature Hanging in, in the there. world. Like, just, you know, bringing up the rear. So maybe some of those, maybe a couple, like two of your Soulscar Mage slots become Elusive Otter, like one of your Underworld Breaches, one of something else, and you get the Otters in the deck. Like, I, I can definitely see it. Yeah, I, I like this card as well. We got Questing Druid. This is one in the green for a 1-1. One, one. Whenever you cast a spell that's white, blue, black, or red, put a plus one, plus one counter on Questing Druid. Its adventure is Seek the Beast, which is one in a red for an instant. Exile the top two cards of your library until your next end step. You may play those cards. This is above the otter, really? Yeah, the otter, I think, is... Yeah, I mean, maybe better. Questing Druid is just, like, a card that I think is really really powerful in standard if the deck exists for it at all like it's just a body that is real with a draw two on it like 
I don't know. Like this is just like costed so aggressively. And obviously Quarry Dryad is not a card that and it's very weird templating to a white, blue, black or red spell. And I don't know how much like miracle growing we're doing in standard and the colors are a little bit weird. But anytime this is like the fact that this is a good card to play on turn two and then if you draw it any later, it can be really, really powerful. I don't know. I, I just like this in lower powered formats quite a bit. Just I, do, it does a lot of the work for you in a way that the otter kind of doesn't. I could see that in standard, this being playable. It is, again, the caveat that like green is a really weak color in standard. Yeah, but I don't know this that. card asks you to play not that many green cards. It yeah, but play... ideally you want to play zero green cards. I, I know, and <laughs> certainly not that many green two drops. So that's kind of where I am currently on it. Like maybe in a future format. Yeah, I could could buy this, but for right now, at least, I, I don't like this card at all. If the mana were better, I would be really into this in a Pia deck. I think I that mean, there's like a lot yeah, going yeah, for yeah. it there. Like if you had fetch lands. Yeah, I agree with that. But I don't really know how to make that work. I don't think you can in current Pioneer. You'd have to play like Naya, and that's just <laughs> no way. Yeah, it's really not happening. Naya trying to play ones, twos, and threes. Yeah. Uh, my number one is Mosswood Dread Knight, which I I liked quite a bit. And after playing with it a bunch today, I am super high on uh, one and a green for a three, two trample. When it dies, you can cast it from your graveyard as an adventure until the end of your next turn. Its adventure is one and a black for a sorcery. You draw a card and you lose one life. This is just way better than Tenacious Underdog. It like is so flexible. You cast it, you use your mana wherever makes sense. You cast it, you get more value out of it as the game goes on. I think if, obviously, if the the adventure deck in Pioneer is real, it's because of this card and casting this with any combination of Edgewall Innkeeper or uh lucky clover was just really powerful really really good uh casting multiple copies of dread whispers with a shield in play just like drew a bunch of cards gained life and it, this was just like the engine that made the deck really work it's really good when you can combine it with a lot of cheap spells that trade one for one and that's kind of a formula for a good deck if you can play a bunch of cheap spells that trade one for one and then this is just a, a thing that ties it together and does a lot of work uh, this card's just good. Yeah, I I can believe that. I it still has like the the is a green card problem for me. Yeah, in in standard especially. I hope the pioneer adventure deck is real because that would be a nice addition to the format, like some other random mid range deck. Mm -hmm. But this is also exactly the card I hate sure. and just will not play with. So it's really <laughs> hard for me to divorce that from. I think this card is good, and I. I have a hard time admitting that. <laughs> That's fair. The trample has also come up for me too. I mean, not that this is going to convince you of anything, but Ooh, the trample, trample. The, the, the trample my mind. <laughs> was pretty nice. Like, you know, I've had opponents with like one ones in play and like a planeswalker that minus. And it's like, yeah, this thing is going to kill that. And this is my two job. But like the, the thing is like, this isn't a value engine that you have had to like plug into your like count of four mana spells in your deck. Like this is your two drop and then and, and you're totally fine playing it as a three two. And then if they kill it, then you're like, oh, yeah, then I'm in a card advantage game. And so then I will cast the adventure for this 
and hopefully hit a thought seize or something here. No, that, that actually sounds really good to me. The where I run up against the wall is that it is a Golgari card. So sure. I have to play both of those colors. <laughs> right. And and so you need to find a package of green cards that makes sense with this. And so that's why like the adventure package was very was a strong draw. Cause like the black cards in Pioneer, you got it covered. You play your fatal pushes, you play your thought seizes, you play some shieldreds. It's like, yeah, the black cards are definitely part of this equation. And then you have to figure out green cards and particularly cheap green cards that work with this. Like Lanoir elves are not what you want. And that's most of what you're bringing to most of what green brings to the table in Pioneer, at least at this moment. And so that made the adventure package make a lot of sense because your cheap green cards of Edgewall Innkeeper and a heart's desire just make a ton of sense with the other stuff that you're doing. If that particular configuration isn't powerful enough, then you need to figure out another compelling reason to be green. I'm not totally sure what that is. Uh, and in standard, also, we will see in standard, it's a little harder to have your curve low enough to make this card really, really good. But it may not be as desperate a requirement to have just like a lot of good one mana spells to make this card work. Yeah, probably not in standard. I think this standard is kind of this card's best shot right now. I think actually Pioneer is mm -hmm. with the Golgari Adventures deck, mostly because I think this power, the power of this card, rests heavily on Innkeeper and Lucky Clover, and those don't exist in standard. Thank but God. if the format opens up, no, I mean I like those cards. If yeah, the but there, opens up we we had into... a we had a solid run with those cards that we don't really need to do again. If the format opens up more into green cards being playable mm -hmm. in standard, I like this card. Yeah. But I don't think that's the case right now, and I'm not interested in trying to play with it. I mean, <laughs> Much the same as questing Druid, right? Yeah, that's fair. I think that some combination of this card and uh, Glissa Sunslayer is a start that makes me want to start exploring Golgari in standard. Because I do think that Glissa is very good. Glissa is very good. <laughs> And aggressive, which is nice. Yeah, it's a, and it's a really good curve. It's a nice, like, cohesive package that makes sense. Like, you play this, you're threatening their life total. You play Glissa, you continue just like you're you're using the combat step in a meaningful way. Anyways, those those are my green cards, or yeah, those are my cards, multi so. multicolor cards. That just a couple of greenish ones at the end. Did you have any artifacts or anything you wanted to talk about? I mean, Iron Crag is obviously good. It's a it's a mindstone effect that we don't have any copies of that in Pioneer, and so it will do stuff. Candy Trail is cheap enough that it will do something. This is the one mana artifact when ETB scry two, and then two tap sacrifice it. You get food effect and clue effect. Draw a card, gain three life. Just like it'll do something, making mana with Urza getting bought back with Emery. Like it's just too cheap and doesn't have any color requirements. Um, and then Agatha Soul Cauldron, we've spent plenty of time talking about that card is cool as hell. It's super cool, yeah. I I kind of combined my uh, multicolored and artifact cards, mm -hmm. so I'll, I'll just go through my little list here. Sure. Five is Elusive Otter for the reasons already discussed. I think the card's super cool. Mm -hmm. Important little addition to Prowess decks. My number four is Sir Ginger, the Mealender, a two mana three one legendary artifact, Food Knight. <laughs> uh, has trample and hexproof and haste as long as your opponent has a planeswalker. Has the 
super food ability. You pay two, tap, sack it to gain life equal to its power. And whenever an artifact is put into, you control is put into a graveyard from the battlefield, put a plus one on the counter answer, Ginger, and scry one. Notably, this effect is not gated once per turn, like pretty much every card nowadays. Mm-hmm. So literally every time another artifact goes into the uh, graveyard, this card gets larger and you scry. I don't know how much the scry matters, but just having a pseudo arcbound ravager yeah a very large artifact creature works really well with treasures and food i treasures don't especially know, yeah yeah treasures especially i don't know exactly where sir ginger ends up but i'm interested in trying her out especially in pioneer if we can do any sort of shenanigans with like artifact aggro used to be a real deck in pioneer and we lost a million cards from that deck but this is a good little addition that lets you play an actual artifact creature that has text other than is an artifact, mm-hmm. which is not something that like Ginger Brute is. And it does mega punish any Planeswalkers that happen to come into play. There aren't that many Planeswalkers relevant in Pioneer, but when your opponent does play a Planeswalker, then you are a yeah, Ginger it's deck. Dead. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's pretty messed up. <laughs> And you can't even take this. You can't even take it off the table with a with a planeswalker. So it kind of just soft locks planeswalkers from being played, unless you are fine with them dying. Mm-hmm. Uh, my number three is the Iron Crag. Uh, I'm only going to read like a line of text on this card because it's two mana, legendary artifact, taps for a mana, a colorless yep. mana. Yep, that's the relevant text, all right. Then a bunch of text that is weird. Yep. This is a bad Mindstone, <laughs> a really bad Mindstone, but it is the only Mindstone we've got yep. in Pioneer. And I mentioned it before, but I'm excited in trying this out with um, Doom Foretold Piles, because in slow decks like that, that are also predicated on having a bunch of permanents in play, this card is really good. Uh, it lets you curve into Doom Foretold pretty easily. And have a permanent to sacrifice if you want to get rid of this instead of something like Hopeless Nightmare because you didn't draw it or whatever. Uh, or you can sacrifice it to Beseech the Mirror to do you know the same thing. Your deck does have to be black heavy for that to work because this does not produce any colored mana. And you do have to have drawn a Hopeless Nightmare or like a Thraven Inspector yeah, or, or something, something for turn one. Yeah. yeah. Right. If you want that to work. I mean... But, you can also just like curve this into Shieldred in a different style of deck, but I don't know what that looks like. I'm like not interested in trying that out. That also just generally isn't the vibe with Shieldred. Like Shieldred is like, let's trade all of our permanents off and then I will play this four mana spell that will kill you in two turns or takes like multiple cards to deal with that you don't, you know, Shieldred is an attrition payoff, not a like ramp per out on turn three payoff. Yeah. So the Iron Crag, I'm just interested in that Mindstone in, in slower decks that are more, that really need to get going faster, but cannot, mm-hmm. is where I'm interested in the Iron Crag. Yep. Maybe it's these playing standard, maybe not. I, I imagine it will, I just don't Over know exactly. Over a three-year course of life in standard, it will definitely see some play. The important thing is using the copies that you draw, because unlike Mindstone, you can't just like cash in for a card, mm-hmm. and unlike every Signet, you can't just play a second copy. Right. It just dies because it's legendary. So it's. I think it's an important aspect of this card to do something with the artifact when you're done with it. Yeah, so bargain or some other sort of mechanic that lets you 
playing awesome. a legendary creature works because then it turns into a sword. Yeah. Yeah, which is I mean, probably good enough to, like, okay, I'm getting some use out of this cardboard. Right. It turns into Everflame, so now you can play another Iron Crag. Like, good, good enough for me. Yeah. My number two is Candy Trail. This is the food clue. Love cogs like these where it's just really cheap gets you closer to the next card you care about is a board piece that you can interact with in a bunch of different ways like there's an art a one-man artifact really good with emery it's a food so it's good with all the food stuff and it's buyout is two mana to draw a card and gain three life Mm -hmm. the buyout of foods and clues individually was pretty steep because two mana is not worth a card or three life but two mana being both at once is actually a pretty good deal yeah as a buyout for a card i don't think you play this because three mana for three for a card and a three life is good right it's just something you get when you are done with it no you're playing this because right you get to like dump your hand and whether you're making your affinities things cheaper or enabling urza or making constructs bigger and then it does something on the way out as well uh, i love agatha soul Cauldron, but it is not number one on my list sure. i think it's much harder to play with and meet deck building requirements than I'm prepared to give it a grade for right now. Like it's sweet as hell, but it, I don't, I can't figure it out. One thing that <laughs> I think is also kind of neat with Agatha's Soul Cauldron is that uh, you can kind of just use it as a mini uh, unlicensed hearse. Yeah, that that is actually one of the cool things I like. It doesn't care what the card is. You don't have to exile creatures with it. Right. Uh, one of the the decks I saw, I'm trying to remember, but I it was some sort of random Karn deck, and one of the things I thought the deck should be instead of having an unlicensed Hearse in the sideboard, it should just have an Agatha Soul Cauldron because yeah. there's a lot of really important creatures that had activated abilities in the deck. You could just like make extra copies of it while having a good graveyard hate card. Like it's uh, it it's weird. just as good against like Grease Fang as as unlicensed horses basically you, you they can't get as long as this is in play they cannot reanimate a Parhelion and so anything that's targeted like that this is kind of doing a similar thing and it if you have synergies in your deck then it could just be kind of a free upgrade yeah like it's obviously worse against stuff like phoenix mm-hmm. where you really want to get a, a large density of cards out of their graveyard yeah although but if hearst doesn't do a great job of keeping up on card count against like phoenix to stop you know it's also so slow and doesn't do anything right else. like you're never really attacking with it yeah until it's too late and soul cauldron if it has any synergy in your deck at all that is actually worthwhile it also just adds power every time you get a phoenix yeah yeah so it actually starts killing them faster like if you have a creature that is attacking there you go you're you're killing them faster yeah that is not my number one my number one is not soul cauldron it is devouring sugar maw okay card i love yeah fair enough for modern for for the glimpse for tomorrow deck specifically uh, it's a one and a white adventure instant create a white human and a food it has other text it has a whole creature attached to it which will come into play off of your glimpse for tomorrow yeah it's a six six minish trampling four drop that you can yep. <laughs> bargain to mm-hmm. not have be tapped <laughs> but who cares it, it is a two mana card that you cannot cascade into that produces two permanents the turn before you can glimpse that's yep. what i care about about the card one of which can uh, block it, if you need to. One of which can block. The other of which is a food, which mm-hmm. is actually relevant because I mentioned earlier I wanted to try a food glimpse deck. 
with a, based around the food combo. And if you're already putting food into play, you're good to go. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's just part of your deck baked in. I like this card a lot. I think it is... I'm guaranteed to play this card in Modern. Like, it's going to happen. I know that for a fact. And I cannot say that about any, any other, other card. card. Set. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It is funny that this made the multicolored list when this is basically a mono white card. It's a white card. Yeah. <laughs> well, I couldn't. I couldn't just water down all the good white cards in the set. Like, no, no, of course not. Regal Bunnycorn. Yeah, that one's got to make it. Yep, Chickamaw definitely has a place. Like, has a clear job to do, and it's it's. Is the- it the best card in the set? No, but it is certainly a playable card. Also. Probably the first bun cake we've ever had on a magic card. I thought it was a donut. I I'm I think the regular art is a bun cake. That that's that seems pretty distinctively a bun cake to me. So what is it in the the showcase art where it's like some pile of it's frosting. some gooey thing? Yeah, I don't know. It it kind of looks like one of the like extra life like kid sketches turned into a creature. It does actually. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mostly like Devouring Chikorma because its limbs are gummy worms, and that's so cute. <laughs> that is very cool. Anyway, that, that, that's the Eldraine cards. Yeah, we made it through. Good job to us. Yeah. Thanks for sticking with us as I have staved off the burning need to go to the bathroom for a while. <laughs> well, I will need to edit this entire thing tomorrow, so, you know. Do you really? Do everybody... you have to go somewhere this weekend? No, I just, that's kind of just what my schedule is. Like, if I get it done tomorrow, then I don't need to worry about it later on. So that's that's kind of my, how I how I handle it. It was a soft half too. Yeah. I understand. Yeah, exactly. Well, cool. Lee, thank you for getting through this whole thing with me. Yeah, I I wish I would have had more, a little more time to make my list a little more polished, so we couldn't see you know random duds we discussed. But you know that's part of evaluating cards. You just like misread some cards or don't think about them very much. Yeah, and then and then cards that you haven't thought about at all pop up in like define standard. Like that's just how this game works, and that's yeah, like why it's siege, fun. The multiverse or what was it called? Bre- Breach, Breach the, the multiverse. multiverse. Yeah, or Fable of the Mirror Breaker. You're like who knows? Maybe. Yeah. Yep. random card in Throne of Eldraine or Wilds of Eldraine. It's just going to be the next best thing. You know, Twining Twin, that's the one. That's the one we missed. Yep, it could be any of them. That's, that's the beauty of it. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We really, really appreciate your time. Yeah, that's it. Have a that's great week. for now. Till next time. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Bye.